What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Yeah, where is Chris K, our SPAC guru? He's here. Let's get him on the show. We got a lot going on in SPACland. We got some updates, and we're going to have our guest, our interview, who you may have heard of if you're into SPACs. Well, we'll, we'll let Chris talk more about that. Let's bring, yes, there he is. Hey, hey, what's going on, Spencer AB? Great to be here. Great to have you back. Not that you ever left, but uh, we're on. Here we are. Okay, so we're going to be doing these weekly segments uh, more than one time a week. We got a lot going on in Spackland, Chris. So uh, why don't you just start by telling us about it? We'll cover as much as we can cover before uh, our first guest comes on. Actually, before you even get to that, tell the people who our guest is today, because this is a big name. Yeah, I mean, anyone out there who's followed SPACs, you're going to know this name, of course. We've had him on SPACs Attack before. We will have Niccolo Damasi, the CEO of DMY Technology, joining us shortly and joining him will be Will Marshall, the CEO of Planet. So we're going to be talking about that SPAC merger between DMYQ and Planet. So Niccolo yes. Damasi out there, I mean, he, he's considered the, the SPAC king, the SPAC goat by many um, because he has delivered with his deals in the past. Um, so uh, definitely excited to welcome Niccolo back to Benzinga TV. Excellent. In the meantime, Chris, let's get to some headlines. Yeah. So, you know, the first headline, speaking of Niccolo Damasi, we've got Genius Sports. So Genius Sports announced a partnership with FanDuel. So Genius will provide the official sports book and media content plus NFL advertising inventory for FanDuel now. So FanDuel designates Genius Sports as a preferred programmatic marketing partner. So remember that FanDuel is a partner with the NFL and Genius Sports, of course, has the official data feed for the National Football League. FanDuel is the number one sports book and the largest mobile betting operator in the U.S. This is a huge deal for Genius, and it is signed the day before they report quarterly earnings. So Genie <gasps> tomorrow G-E-N-I, quarterly earnings tomorrow. And if you watch Sport Radar, Sport Radar, S-R-A-D, of course, had earnings recently that were fairly strong as well. So I expect a strong report from Genie tomorrow. And of course, this was a Niccolo Damasi SPAC deal uh, previously. Uh, what do you guys think? I mean, we're hearing record numbers being bet on the NFL, on sports. In the months of September and October, I got to believe that Genius Sports it is going to have a nice looking quarter. Yeah, probably, right? But unfortunately, it's like not it doesn't matter, right? Like the market doesn't care yeah. about that. Yeah, Spencer, but. great point. We've seen, you know, DraftKings fall, we've seen Penn fall, but this is why I really like Genie, right? Cuz those companies are beating each other up, right? Competing for market share. They've got razor thin margins because they're just throwing out free promo money. I mean, I know AB knows all about free promo money, myself as well, and Mitch. We've talked about that as before. You're getting free money to bet on sports, and then those companies are not making profits. Genie is making money because they're providing that data to these sports betting companies. 
Yeah, so, so is the move here by the betting companies, Chris, that they're willing to to spend that money in promotions, in advertising, to try to lock in customers now so that those customers have the brand loyalty in the long run? Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, it's similar. Netflix did this for years, right? You spend a ton of money to acquire your customers. You get that loyal customer base, and then eventually you're going to, you know, be able to focus on you know, margins and profits. We're seeing DraftKings and, you know, uh, especially Penn get more into media, right? And and that could be another area to watch. But really, I think there's going to be consolidation in sports betting, right? I mean, there's so many players out there competing for market share. I think eventually they start to, you know, acquire each other, um, you know, to go after the the total market segment. And you know what's exciting is, is you know, whatever the first deal is, whatever the first domino, it's going to create like a massive domino effect. And it's going to be like a land grab. It's going to be like one deal gets announced. Then like five deals will get announced. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, whenever that happens. All right. Uh, what else we got going on in speculating, Chris? All we got right. Some more so stuff. our, yeah, our big mover today, Astra space, A S T R. This is a space company that went public via uh, SPAC. They completed their first commercial orbital launch Friday, which was a mission for the U.S. Space Force. Um, This was a historic milestone for the company. They became one of only four privately funded companies to reach orbit. That list includes uh, SpaceX, Rocket Lab, and Virgin Orbit. They also reached orbit faster than their rivals, including SpaceX. Um, So that is definitely a huge milestone for them. Their founder, Chris Kemp, told investors that the company is just getting started. So Astra plans to begin monthly launches in the future. They can mass produce a portable launch system to launch from anywhere in the world within 24 hours. Huge backlog, huge pipeline of deals. And they said that their next launch announcements will be coming soon. So no surprise, ASTR rocketed on up today. We're still up 30% today. Uh, Big news over the weekend for space and for SPACs. So can you make a note to update us when they announce their next launch? Because if every launch is going to be like this, (laughs) 33% move, then like sign me up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, this is the catalyst that, you know, we used to talk about on Spac's Tech, right? The space stocks, if you follow the story, I mean, Rocket Lab just did a launch. Their stock was up. Astra, their launch was up. When Virgin Galactic launches to space, you see the stock go up before the launch. I mean, if you follow that story, you know, it's definitely, you know, you can see it on the chart that those launches. But on the flip side, Spencer, the last Astra space mission was not successful. If any of you watched that, their their rocket actually kind of went sideways, um, and the stock definitely uh, did not react positively on that launch. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> then all right, and that's part so of the game. It's always a winner. I mean, that's part of the risk, right? With, <laughs> with always, them, but um, can always be a winner. All right, a couple more here, and then we'll bring on our, our first guest. Yeah, another SPAC news, you know, something we always say to watch, right? And this is something we may see more now with the number of SPACs out there. We did have a SPAC on Friday, ZGYH, that announced that they opted to liquidate instead of extending their vote. So this SPAC will no longer acquire a company. They're done. They are going to liquidate their common shares. So each shareholder will get $10.31. That's the net asset value in the trust the warrants become worthless. So this is why we always talk about warrants being high risk, high reward, right? If the company does not reach a deal, the warrants become worthless. 
Um, and then notable that this is a SPAC that counts Patrick Orlando as the CEO. He is the same CEO of DWAC, which of course is bringing the Trump companies public via SPAC. Um, so of course that made headlines on Friday as well. All right, we have SPAC going off the board saying, ah, oh, never mind. Uh, what else do we have? And then I, I write a weekly article, uh, data from Fintel, that is the five short squeeze candidates for each week. So notable that two uh, SPACs make that list this week, uh, Altimeter Growth Corp, AGC, which is merging with Grab. Um, they have 38.8% of shares uh, of their float short. Um, so that's notable because they actually have their merger vote coming up later in November. And then also Tattooed Chef, a plant-based food company that went public via SPAC. Their short interest now 35.7%. So two notable SPACs out there, heavy short interest. And with that being said, AGC did set their merger vote with Grab for November 30th. We also got ATHN setting their merger with Heliogen for December 28th. And ISOS setting their merger vote with Bolero for December 14th. And then we did get a couple mergers approved late last week, including DDMX, which is merging with Codare Online, a international sports betting company. And then one to put on uh, both of your ra radars. I, I know we talk sports a lot. Rogers yeah. Communications, publicly traded, right? RCI. They mm -hmm. own the Toronto Blue Jays and some other sports assets. They are actually now saying that they are working to sell the Toronto Blue Jays. So the Blue Jays are being put up for sale. And we do have several SPACs out there that are targeting possibly a professional sports team. Um, among them, we have uh, PUCK, SLAM, BHSE, and others. So what do you guys think? I mean, Spencer AB, I've said it for a long time, you know, that some of these sports SPACs really want to bring a sports team public. Do you think we see that now with the Blue Jays being up for sale, or is this just going to be, you know, another sports team acquired by a, yeah. by a billionaire out there? Yeah, there was a, the rumors with the with the, the Fenway group, right, and the Red Sox. My, my I don't know about the answer to your question, but what I was going to uh, – I guess the answer is probably yes. At some point we'll see a – sports team go go public um via this route but what i was really going to say is i am like decidedly neutral on the outlook for sports teams going forward uh, on the one hand uh valuations for sports teams have basically never gone down in their history right they just go up that's what they do there's only there's only so many of them out there i i think maybe last year during covid was may maybe like the first time ever that there was like that they're that they pause for a moment, but valuations always go up. So that's obviously a good thing. On the other hand, uh, sports teams get a lot of money from RSNs, regional sports networks. And there was a very good article over the weekend by Alex Sherman on CNBC, basically about how that, that business is, is under attack and is going to eventually go away. Um, and that is a major, major, major source of revenue for these teams is, is they get paid a gajillion dollars from these RSNs who pay for the right to, to broadcast their games. Uh, and the model's not working uh, and no one's happy. And maybe this solution is sports teams do their own direct to consumer streaming thing. I don't know. Yeah. But um, uh, that's a, that is a major uh, that's, that's a gravy train that is bringing a lot less gravy now. So yeah, I am. 
decidedly neutral on sports teams. That, that's a fair point, Spencer. And what I would say is, yeah, I would expect the teams to kind of launch their own. Um, I yeah. know Sinclair Broadcast, which owns Bally Sports, uh, several of the the major uh, sports rights out there. Yeah. They actually said last year that they planned on launching their own streaming platform. So if you subscribe to the streaming platform, you would get access to all those different regional networks, including Bally Sports Detroit, you know, home of the Pistons, Red Wings, and Tigers. That's the one that I would want to pay money for being a Detroit sports fan. Um, but that's a that's a fair point there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't know how you feel about that, A.B., but uh, gravy train bringing less gravy. On the other hand, valuations only go up because it's, it's what they do. So, all, this gravy, uh, all, right. all this gravy talk the week of Thanksgiving. I mean, nice job, Spencer. Hey, I'll be here all week. Speaking of that, today's show sponsored by Vitamin Water or not, <laughs> but we're open to it, Vitamin Water. Just, just, just let us know. Who owns vitamin water? Is it Coke? Fifty cent. Coca Cola. Hey, oh. <laughs> Wait, didn't Fifty Cent? Oh, he sold it. 50 he cent found sold it. Sold as part of that. He yeah, sold he, it. He, yeah, he, had, he found had, it. Or if he was just an early investor. He had, right? Yeah, he he was an early investor through that marketing deal. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but the founder of Vitamin Water also found uh, was the founder of uh, Body Armor, which just also got acquired by Coca Cola. Um, so that founder is doing uh, quite well for himself, Michael. I, I'm going to stick with my story that 50 Cent was in the lab co-founding Vitamin Water. It's a better story. I thought, he, I thought he was in the club. He was in the lab now? <laughs> See, they, well, yeah, he went from the lab to the club. That's the whole thing. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. Let, 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 let's bring on our first guest here, Chris. We got we got two of them here. Uh, g- g- uh, give us a re-intro. Who do we got? Oh. All right, guys. Yeah, I teased it at the the top of the show. We're super excited. We have a great interview today. Joining us on Benzinga Live, we have Niccolo Damasi, the CEO of DMY Technology. And of course, joining us on the show, we have Will Marshall, the CEO and founder of Planet. So Planet is going public via SPAC merger with DMYQ. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Hey, I think you're muted, Niccolo. Just saying yeah, great to be yeah. here, Chris, as there always. There we go. There we go. Excellent. There we go. Now Excellent. we can hear you. Awesome. All right. Would... Well, let's let's dive into questions here. You know, I, I've interviewed you both before. We've talked about Planet, but the stock is definitely getting more interest. So I know there's more people out there that want to hear more about Planet, right? So, uh, Will, let's start with you. You know, just give a brief uh, overview. What is Planet all about? Yeah, well, good to be back. And yeah, just a quick story. Planet, we have uh, 200 satellites. They do Earth imaging. We collect, we actually image the entire landmass of the Earth every single day. It's like a line scanner for the planet. And we now have 1,500 images for every point on the Earth's landmass. And what we do is with that data is provide it to various companies and governments to help them make smarter decisions. Um, we liken it to a Bloomberg, uh, but for Earth data. And uh, so we, we take this imagery, we add various analytics, like extract out roads and buildings and uh, crop yields and various other things like that. We provide that to various entities. So I described last time we have a, you know use cases mainly in places like agriculture, where we can tell crop type, crop yield. That helps the farmers improve crop yield by 20 to 40 percent. We work with the biggest agricultural companies, monitoring millions of farm fields every day. Um, We work with civil governments on things like tracking and helping uh, improve uh, response to disasters like after floods and fires. Uh, We work with um, 
And we've got some exciting new uh, uh, um, uh, uh, developments to announce uh, uh, that we've we recently announced, which we can tell some of your viewers here today. But but yeah, that's the quick picture about Planet um, and what we do. It's a, just over $100 million in revenue last year, so we're a scale business, and uh, we're excited to be going public uh, uh, with our partners here, uh, DMY uh, Technologies. Awesome. With that, you know, I turn to you, Niccolo. Uh, you know, anyone who's followed SPACs, you know, knows you well. You've done several deals. Uh, you had your choice of so many companies with this DMYQ merger. And, and within that, there's also so many space companies and satellite companies. So what is it that makes Planet so unique? And how are they so far ahead of the competition in terms of satellites? Well, look, as we've chatted with you before, um, we like all weather businesses and we fundamentally think that Planet is the ultimate thing behind a thing business. Um, we see all of the value, frankly, anything to do with space coming from data long term. Uh, and Planet really is not just the leading data player, but I'd argue that they're a quasi monopoly business. Uh, if you think about the daily holer scan, there is nobody else that's anywhere near them. Uh, when you have 200 satellites in the in, in orbit and your next biggest competitor has like five, um, Will can can rattle off some metrics maybe in a second here, but we've never seen a business with as as commanding a lead in years over anybody else attempting to do something adjacent, right? No matter how much money you have, it's going to take you five, six, seven years to get to where Planet is in 2021. And of course, we're not standing still. We're going to use all this money uh, on highly visible, well-understood investments uh, like growing the sales force, growing the software business. And so we think this business has, frankly, the highest barriers of entry we've seen. And it's kind of the ultimate price giver, Chris, because they have proprietary data all wrapped up in this data subscription kind of Bloomberg terminal, if you will. Um, and so we, we love the TAM of the business. If you look at all the verticals Will just uh, touched on, we think he can get to a billion dollars of revenue through just one of those verticals. And he's got, you know, six or seven. Um, but at the end of the day here, you know, the world has a lot of energy around sustainability, but this business is a fantastic company, even without that uh, tailwind, because it's a nine figure revenue play um, <clears throat> that ultimately has, uh, you know, I'd say probably the strongest shareholder base you've seen in the data space or the space category. And it's all wrapped up with a, an 11 year track record that Will, Will's been building here. So tremendous momentum with this company, a tremendous decade ahead. Yeah, perfect. I smile as I saw that chart pulled up on the screen. Like I said, DMYQ getting a lot of attention out there going into this merger vote. Um, Will, we, we chatted before and you mentioned, you know, that there's some new news to share. So one of the items I know was that Planet recently announced the acquisition of Vandersat. Can you tell yeah. us, you know, wh what is the thesis behind that acquisition and why is it so important for Planet's growth going forward? Well, look, the first decade of Planet was all about the hardware and building up the satellite fleet. The, we had to build the largest fleet of satellites in human history and a bunch of other things, no minor accomplishment. The second decade of Planet is really a, focused around the software and that's pulling up insights and information from the imagery uh, to make you more closer to what the user needs. Um, we've mainly been working with large enterprise, the big ad companies, the Googles or the US governments of the world. And that's already a great business. And there's billions in that. But 
There's also, if, as we extract out value, we can allow a lot more users. Users don't have teams of people that have geospatial expertise, but a long tail of smaller companies um, in many different sectors, if we can extract out value from the imagery which it can provide. So um, Vandersat is a company that specializes in satellite data insights and analytics. Um, they have some really unique IP. It's a great uh, tuck-in acquisition, enabling us to go faster on our product roadmap on the software side. Um, and it's particularly relevant in agriculture, which is already one of our core markets, but also insurance, which is a new and emerging market case for us. Um, and this rela relatedly, just so you know, we, we've done a few recent uh, partnerships. Uh, um, one that sort of relates to that is that we did a partnership with USDA, the US Department of Agriculture, um, where they're using our data to help underpin the crop reports that they do across uh, sort of like the industry crop reports of the United States. Um, the cool thing is exactly the same data and that data of these crop reports is used by hedge funds to, to pin their, um, their bets on markets on various commodities, agricultural commodities, obviously, in this case. And we can actually do that more regularly and for the whole world. This hints at our value proposition for another market, which is finance. You know, we have huge alpha on commodities around the whole planet. Like we can tell the soy yield of the world before anyone else or the wheat yield before anyone else. And again, we can do it on a global basis and more regularly than the government got reports. So that's helping us to pioneer the use case that can help us get into finance too. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, I want to ask about that. Um... Because I was listening to a a pod, sheer coincidence, I was listening to a, an interview over the weekend uh, with uh, the founder of, um, of of Moderna, right? And they were talking about how they had a thesis decades ago. They were going to create a Bloomberg terminal for for biotech, right? Mm. And and what and create amass all the data and sell it to the biotech industry. And it didn't really work, right? Um, so the idea of like creating a Bloomberg-like terminal for different for industry-specific things has been out there in the past. Doesn't always work. Um, have you proven out that there is like a like a, a like viable use cases here that you have like viable customer base for 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 the product? Well, already we have four established vertical markets. Yes. Yeah, so I mentioned in agriculture, we already serve the biggest names in agriculture, and and those are expanding rapidly. Um, so we we see a significant product market fit there in in um, defense and intelligence that's where we help countries with security like border security civil government where we help uh, countries and local and state government with uh, disaster response uh, with permit enforcement um, these are all established use cases and then mapping is the final one we work with companies like google to improve the maps that you see online and we do that all the time yeah i mean look i in my mind uh, I, I strongly believe in that Bloomberg terminal for Earth data. And remember, it's not a specialized thing. In fact, our data is relevant to a lot of vertical markets, those four and a bunch more, like insurance, like finance. And so it's not an industry-specific thing. It's, it's This Earth data is powering two major global transitions of the economy. One is the digital transformation, and second is the sustainability transformation. So the digital transformation is where big data and AI are unleashing efficiencies on whole trillion dollar industries like agriculture, we're doing with agriculture. Um, and sustainability transformation is how all the countries and all the companies want to measure their environmental goals and their emission standards and their, um, protect their parks and, and track their sustainability goals. And planet's data is not just relevant to that, it's foundational to that transition to a sustainable economy because the first thing you need when you set those goals is 
the data to measure where am I and how am I going? And so just like the financial data that powers Bloomberg, that enables people to make smart decisions on stocks and trades, is exactly the same as what we're providing, uh, except it's not limited to one uh, sector of financial data services. It's, lim it's, it's a wide variety of markets. And secondly, it's based on a unique set of data that's proprietary to Planet based on our, on our satellite fleet, unlike Bloomberg Terminal, which is mainly aggregating open source, uh, publicly available um, financial data. So I actually think it's Bloomberg plus uh, plus. Time will tell, but I, I have conviction on that. Nicolo, anything to, to add there? It looked like you wanted to, to jump into Spencer's question there. No, I mean, look, I, I think it's important for people to realize that Bloomberg is a data aggregator, whereas Will's business is proprietary data. Um, you know, I said before, we like all weather businesses. You know, Planet is the ultimate all weather business because it's it's a monopoly, right? At the end of the day, nobody else can scan the whole earth every day. So he 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 has pricing power. We're very confident in this business's momentum and ability to perform kind of regardless of what happens here. Ironically, Chris, um, this business, you know, is, is kind of like the Apple in my mind uh, of, of the space or satellite sector in the sense that, as Will said, he focused the first decade on building his own hardware. Now he's building his own software and AI on top of that. He's vertically integrated, right? So Planet effectively assembles their own satellites. They even design their own components um, and that makes them able to innovate faster than everybody else. It ensures their margins are better than everybody else's. Uh, and we expect it means that they will continue to pull ahead of the pack. So this is a sector that I think will end up being a winner takes most, if not all. Um, and unlike other data plays, it's their own data. <laughs> They're not buying it from somebody else. They're controlling it from the point of capture. That's a really important point, right? He has Almost a, you know, almost an infinitely high gross margin, if you will, uh, asymptotic uh, towards you know a very high number because he can resell that data on a one-to-many basis. Uh, he has no royalties; it's his own business, his own data. Soup to nuts. I guess that would be a key difference. Yeah, <laughs> Nicolo, uh, you know, uh, we we've covered the SPAC industry for a long time, and one of the things I always talk about is you know analyst coverage. And out there in SPAC land, right, a lot of these companies don't get, you know, analyst coverage and price targets until the merger is completed. Now, here we have Planet where I'm seeing, you know, several analysts jump out with price targets, coverage. I mean, $15, $17 and more. Also, I saw a New York Times article, you know, talking about Planet and how big of an impact it can have on the future. So, so Nicola, I'll start with you. What kind of validation you know, does this give you as an investor um, seeing these price targets and this thesis of planet building a better future? Well, look, we did an analyst day, and I think I, I said this, at least in social media, it was the best attended one we've ever seen. Um, you have four people that have picked up coverage prior to the vote. That's a record for DNY. It's probably a record for SPACs in general. I don't think anyone's done better than that, for sure. Some people get to two. We've gotten to three before, but never four. Um, I think it's safe to say that, you know, there's going to be plenty of big guys picking up coverage like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, uh, you know, who are both partners with us and, and Planet after the vote. Um, but the validation, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago with the shareholder base is tremendous. You have, you know, Mark Benioff in this pipe. You have CPPIB. You know, you've got BlackRock. You've got Coke. You've got, you know, people that love this business for a myriad of reasons 
And I, and I believe, Chris, that like with all the businesses we bring public, but this one, you know, even more strongly, if you could, uh, you know, this is, this is a long-term 10 bagger and it probably is a long-term hundred bagger. Um, you know, Will Marshall and his, and his co-founder, Robbie Shingler are, you know, been doing this for most of their lives. And I believe they're going to be doing it for the rest of their lives. Uh, and so the reality is it's a really long-term vision The the comp, you know, the, the world needs planet, but the fortune thousand needs planet as well. And so, I'm expecting everybody in the Fortune Thousand to be a customer. The question is just how big. Uh, and Will Marshall, you know, more than anyone else ever met, is is here proving you can be a great business and you can do good, you know, for humanity and this planet at the same time. So it's it's a very special mission and a very special company. Uh, and I think there's a lot of reasons why people are excited about it. And you can see it in the stock price graph, obviously. Well, uh, same same kind of question to you, right? You know, I I know you probably don't follow, you know, the analyst coverage, the price targets, maybe as much. But seeing an article like that on the New York Times saying how Planet, you know, is what's needed for the future in terms of ESG sustainability, right? What what kind of validation and what does that mean for you as the founder of the company to read something like this? Well, it means that the world is is really beginning to realize the value of planet's data and the relevance to our tra- transition. Yes, I, I was at the uh, Glasgow conference, in, uh, the climate conference in Glasgow uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, countries and governments, um, uh, as well as companies, uh, made ambitious targets like ending deforestation uh, by the end of 2030. 132 countries signed up on that. Uh, stopping methane emissions uh, or reducing methane emissions. Um, protecting the oceans and so on. And we really have to make these commitments real. Of course, the first step to making those commitments real into action is measurement, because you, you, you've you got to measure those forests to, to make that commitment. You've got to measure the methane to, to make those commitments. And so immediately, all those companies and governments need our data to do those actions. And what uh, Tom Friedman in the New York Times was getting at was just that this is the natural transition for um, the next step for all of this momentum in sustainability. So it's very uh, gratifying to see see that sort of understanding get out there uh, that the, the, uh, planet's data is central to that next phase of sustainability because that's, of course, the whole reason we founded Planet. We see a massive business opportunity uh, serving that digital transformation, like in agriculture and other places. We also see a big opportunity in sustainability. So it's one of the reasons I think uh, retail investors uh, will love Planet is, of course, we're a data business that has got high growth and high margins. And I think it's a modern kind of business that people are excited about. It's got the space piece that is cool because we've got satellites and that's it's just fun to observe and the pictures are compelling. And then finally, it's really relevant to the predicament we find ourselves in as a species on this planet, uh, needing to take care of the planetary emergency that we've helped to create uh, since the Industrial Revolution. And so planet state is, again, not just not relevant to those transitions, it's, it's pretty much uh, foundational to them. Perfect. So, Will, you know, you mentioned that there were some new things, you know, you you mentioned a couple partnerships, we got the acquisition. So we did have that investor day. um, And I love Nicolo's comment about the analysts. That was going to be one of my questions, right? Are we going to get more analyst coverage? And of course, he, he nailed that one down already. So, Will, you know, what are the, the key takeaways for anyone who didn't tune in to that investor day? Um, why they should be so excited about what Planet is building? 
Well, we did, we did make a few updates um, and, and let me just relay three partnerships that were really exciting that I haven't already mentioned. One is uh, with FEMA, the emergency response agency, uh, the US government uh, and our partners there. We're working together to help with disaster response. We've been doing a bunch of work in disaster response in Germany and here in California. Uh, so in Germany, the flooding here in California and in the wildfires. And our data can help with the with the immediate response of uh, of first responders to those disasters, as well as the prediction of those uh, events in the future. So we we've, we've tracked all the trees in California, and therefore can help them to determine where to put fire lanes and other things to prevent future megafires. Um, so uh, we're working uh, with emergency response agencies like that. We also announced a, an expansion of our partnership with NASA significant expansion there um, and that's all about getting our data into the hands of researchers those researchers do important science especially in, in the areas like climate but also uh, they produce and 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 help validate use cases in agriculture in forest management and other places that then turn into business propositions as well and then uh, finally uh, we expanded a partnership with Google, uh, a new segment. We already support them on Maps. That's how the maps that you see online stay up to date. But this is a different one uh, with Google Cloud. Go to go, it's a go-to-market partnership where it's our data and their compute infrastructure merged together to attack certain uh, vertical markets that we see as really compelling. So if one of those is, is in ESG, so tracking supply chains for companies. We've seen many companies that want us to help track their supply chains, make sure it comes from a sustainable source according to their policies. And this is a go-to-market strategy where it helps both Google and us. It's a feather in the cap for Google because it's cool data um, that other clouds don't have. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's great for us because it helps tap into a large a sales and a sales force at Google Cloud, much larger than our own. Uh, so those are three uh, cool partnerships, just to mention a couple. Nicolo, uh, same for you, uh, the Investor Day, right? So you did, you know, your your deep dive into this company before the SPAC merger. And now we've had several, you know, new updates, acquisition, uh, you know, lots of new news from Planet, right? So what is it that, you know, you're most excited about in terms of some of these new announcements from Planet? Well, you can kind of see why we're so excited with the business is this democratization of access to the whole earth scan, Chris. I mean, this this industry used to be an industry, you know, Will's really invented this industry in its current form. But, you know, 30, 40 years ago, satellite data was about, you know, a government tasking one, one satellite to sort of sit on top of a very narrowly defined area. Will has sort of effectively upended the entire model with Planet by saying, hey, I can democratize this. You can You can do this off of a web portal. Someday you may do this off of, you know, off your phone, off an app. Um, and he's brought the price point down to the point whereby even small businesses uh, can be customers today. This is truly revolutionary if you think about where this industry has gone, where it is today. And imagine, you know, where it's going. So these partnerships are just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I'm hugely excited about the team that, you know, Will's assembled. Um, you know, people that run product for, for Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you know, amongst others. And, and so this continued democratization, I, you know, I'll emphasize what I said a couple of minutes ago, not, not just all friendly governments, not just the Fortune 1000, but I think you're going to see uh, ultimately individuals, just like individuals have Bloomberg terminals, individuals will someday uh, be customers, you know, as well. Um, and so this, this lead that Planet has is so commanding 
that I expect they're going to be the 800 pound gorilla of, of the category. We're going to use the public company uh, status that we're getting uh, in a week or two uh, to enable us to ultimately, you know, consolidate the sector. He's going to be able to move a lot faster now that he has more capital, has the public currency, has got, has the visibility. Because you know, Chris, a lot of the news that gets reported about Chinese missile silos, that's all Will's data. <laughs> people people have barely heard of Planet. We're just getting started here, you know. Um, and so, great great things are ahead, you know, in the coming weeks and months and quarters. Will, I got to ask you one more question here. I mentioned in the headlines, of course, our big mover today is Astra Space. So Astra had their successful uh, launch to orbit over the weekend on Friday. Um, the stock is up big on that. Uh, you actually have a partnership. Planet has a partnership with Astra that was signed in May. Can you just tell viewers you know, who may not be familiar about this partnership what that partnership entails and why uh, Astra reaching orbit could uh, be a big factor here for your company. Well, look, we're excited about working with Astra. Astra is a nano rocket company that has is building and just got to orbit on Friday. It's the first time uh, we believe in them from the get go. Um, we spent a, a while collaborating, as you saw, uh, uh, signing a, a partnership agreement to use their launch uh, vehicles before even uh, they got to orbit because we believed in them and their technology. We make some early bets like that on on companies that we think can help us in the future. There's a proliferation of nano rockets. We've obviously used the uh, rocket lab in in New Zealand, um, as well as the reduction in launch costs, uh, especially from SpaceX. And we will continue to use that and encourage that because, of course, the more launch providers there are, the better. I think Astra's in a great spot to they're tackling something different than reusability. Uh, that is the main thing that SpaceX has there. They're tackling getting mass production of rockets such that you can have almost one a day. That's a big thing for us because it means we can launch the satellites when we want, where we want. So that's cool. Um, I, but I, I would also hasten to add, this is, you know, it really is a space renaissance going on. The rockets are getting cheaper. We're seeing the billionaires going uh, to space on their own rockets like Bezos and, 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 Je uh, and Branson. Um, as well as, uh, as Elon's SpaceX. But um, the unwritten story, I would say, is in the satellites and especially the data. So the big thing that's gone on, so we've seen a 4x reduction in satellite costs, uh, sorry, launch costs. We've seen a 1,000x improvement in cost performance of satellites. And what that is, the upshot of that is vastly more data. So we are generating more than 10 times more data about the Earth than we did just five years ago. And so it, with that upshot of new data sets about the planet, it's all connected to the Earth economy. As I said, the digitization of the global economy and the sustainability of the planet because we're tracking all of natural capital around the planet. And so the biggest upshot of the space renaissance is less the billionaires going to space and that sort of stuff, although that's cool. It's more the data revolution that is powering our Earth economy. Yeah, and Chris, uh, I just want to point out one more time for everybody listening. There's a lot of ways to get things into space. There is only one planet that captures 100 times more data than anybody else, right? So this is my point on the value chain. Like, you know, people make news with tourists. The history of value chains is there's not a lot of money in tourism. There is a lot of money in data. There's a lot of profits in data. There's a lot of enterprise value and market cap in data. And I, and I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that, you know, planet's probably going to be the, if not one of the very most valuable businesses, anything to do with, you know, extraterrestrial, anything in the coming decade is my prediction. 
Uh, we had a couple good ones from our chat uh, that I want to ask. Uh, this one's from NCAL. He's asking if Planet's got any collaboration uh, with any infrastructure bill projects uh, um, or if there's any metaverse plays here. So, <laughs> uh, we do do some work uh, tracking infrastructure builds for energy yeah. companies, for example. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we can do automatic detection. Is there new buildings? Is there new roads? Are they play and and uh, companies use that to track their progress on big infrastructure projects around the planet. We have seen that. We've also seen uh, relatedly a permit enforcement application where uh, counties and states will use our data to go how many who's who's uh, uh, um, building what and did they get planning permission for those things and then they just send them fines in the mail it's like the speed camera for regulatory enforcement it makes them money it makes us money it's all good and it, and it enforces whatever regulation that's important that then helps pay for schools and hospitals and things in those counties and states so we think this is really cool um but yeah um, nothing with uh, the <laughs> metaverse I think you're being I think you're being a little bit humble, Bill. If you keep everybody's maps straight, by definition, people need maps to have things like Pokemon Go work. So well, that's a good uh, point. I mean, Pokemon Go use uh, Google Maps on the back end. And, exactly. And we so, help with making that up to date. So sure, there is a connection there. And, there's and, always a connection. There's always a connection. <laughs> we're, um, the, we're the ultimate thing behind the thing. I'm thing you, behind the thing, Benzinga. Yeah, there that's you it. Go. That's it. And then uh, Born to be Free wants to know if we'll be able to measure the exact amount of carbon being released by countries. Speaking of of, of enforcement yes. and, 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 and regulation, so we can know who the bad apples are. Absolutely. This is a critical area. Um, and yeah. in fact, one thing that was apparent in the Glasgow conference was that no one had that measurement system. Um, we do now have the measurement system for forests, for ocean protection, and a number of other things for agriculture, transition to sustainable agriculture and things like this. But no one's measuring emissions uh, and certainly not accurate enough. So we just announced uh, earlier this year that we are going to launch a third fleet of satellites that's dedicated to measuring emissions. Um, it will be able to measure methane emissions, which is an untold story in emissions. Everyone talks about CO2, but and it can measure CO2 emissions. And both of those at the point source. So it will be able to say this factory at a 30 meter level is the one that is producing the methane or this oil um, uh, or this gas pipeline has a leak or this farm has too many cows or this this waste facility yeah. is producing the methane. And we'll be able to pinpoint that at the level um, that is accurate enough to basically tell 90% of those emitters around the whole planet. And then, and only then, will we be able to keep track on this. And, right. and, and just uh, a few weeks ago, we announced that Mike Bloomberg has given us another grant of $25 million to, to boost the other um, consortium here. Um, so there's a total of $125 million going to uh, the consortium approach to do this ourselves building the satellites nasa jpl building the instrument which is a very sophisticated instrument and um um and an ngo called carbon mapper that pulls it all together and that so that completes the funding to get the first few satellites up and then we will be building a fleet of those to monitor the whole world for emissions it's going to take a couple of years for that but it's a big and exciting future and of course it's not just relevant for the regulators so the governments need that data it's also relevant for the oil and gas companies uh, and others that want to get ahead of that and ensure that they don't get fined. 
Last question yeah, so from the so chat. Even the founder of Bloomberg agrees that Will has proprietary data. Oh, that was good. That was good. That's a good point. That, that was good. <laughs> Single poor Laurent, last one here, just wants to know about, uh, I guess, why you, you – I guess you already kind of addressed this, but why you um, – uh, chose to work with SpaceX and, and, and when you had that contract, although you said you, you work with everyone. so Yeah, we work with SpaceX, of course. They're one of our most regular partners. Uh, we um, have used their rockets, I think, seven times, launching a couple of hundred satellites. It's a, it's a big relationship, and uh, uh, they do have really sophisticated launch vehicles. They're the cheapest uh, per kilogram to get um, objects in space. We, but most exciting for us, they're very nimble. So, for example, last year, we wanted to launch some satellites into an inclined plane, two sets of three satellites on two SpaceX launches. We did it within like from zero, like uh, uh, email to uh, Elon to satellites in space within six months. And that's unheard of in the space arena. And that's because of the agility of us building the satellites and the agility of them adapting their fairing and other things for our satellites in such short order. So. Yeah, that's the kind of exciting thing we can pull off with those. Now we can that enabled us to revisit any particular place on the planet up to 12 times per day. And that was because of this unique partnership uh, between us and SpaceX. So we do work with them quite tightly. Awesome. Well, guys, this this was so much fun. Again, you know, getting some behind the scenes look at Planet here. So Planet Labs merging with DMYQ, that merger vote December third um so will you know we're looking forward to seeing this uh merger go through um and thank you for joining us on the show today and also nicolo you know as always thanks for joining us on benzinga tv and i know you've got a, a big week we've got dmys units splitting the common shares and warrants today and also as i said at the top of the hour we have genius sports reporting earnings tomorrow so super excited for you uh in that area as well Thanks, Chris. Always a pleasure to be here and uh, look forward to Will and I coming back maybe after the first uh, earnings call. Definitely. Thank you Thanks. guys so much. Thanks a lot, guys. See you later. Wow. Okay. So a lot of let's, – let's talk about that for a second. That was a very, very bullish interview. Um, I – look, these exe executives are convincing, right? <laughs> That's their job. I am – fighting myself a little bit here because i i'm i always try to be skeptical right i i always try to be skeptical and think of like it, like it's easy to be to be bullish i think it's hard harder to like think through things a little bit more i'm looking for reasons not to like planet labs um i don't know if i have any right now yeah, I don't have uh, any, Spencer, and I know you want to find the bear case. I, I'm I, trying know. to find the bear case. I'm looking for it. If you have it, let me know. I don't know if I have it right now. So I, 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 I love convincing. space stocks, right? And I think space is an exciting future. And this is one of those companies. I mean, you heard Niccolo say it, right, Spencer? Jason Rasnick says it, the thing behind the thing, right? Yeah. This is the company that can help other space companies. They're backed by Google. Google's an investor. They got Mark yep. Benioff. They got the support of uh, Mike Bloomberg. They're working with NASA. They're working with FEMA. They're working with SpaceX. I mean, there's a lot to like there. So, you know, obviously a, a rather bullish take. But, Spencer, if you look at those analyst notes, too, I mean, we're seeing bullish calls from analysts, $15, $17. And as Niccolo said, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley are going to be putting out notes soon too. So uh, okay, so so asking for a friend here, 
Chris, what is par value on DMYQ? Is it ten fifty? Uh, yeah. So net asset value would be between ten and ten fifty. Okay. So we're trading at a dollar premium. That's not a lot, frankly. That's nothing. It's not um, a lot. And Spencer, <laughs> I put out a tweet last week. If you look at Nicolo's uh, his past SPAC deals, right? RSI, Genie. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, these trade well over the $10 mark post-merger. Ion mm, Q, the quantum yeah. computing one, rocketed up, right? So, I mean, I, I've covered SPACs for a while, and I like to bet on, you know, the management team, and uh, there's a lot to like here. So, uh, Here's the, the biggest thing that I heard, though, and, like, I, I think, like, this is, this is going to be a change. At some point next year, the SEC is going to step in and say, hey, SPAC sponsors, you cannot say things like this is going to be a hundred bagger, as Nicolo just said. They're allowed to say that right now. That's going to change. I don't think they're going to be allowed to say that because IP companies that are IPOing can't say that, right? Companies that are merging merging via SPAC, the SPAC sponsor can basically say whatever they want, right? Um, that's going to change. So Nikola came out and said, yeah, this is, this is a 10-bagger. No, it's a 100-bagger. Mm, that remains to be seen, but um, it's a very exciting statement to say that. I think the SEC doesn't like that, though. Yeah, I mean, that's the big difference between IPO and SPAC merger, right? One of the big differences is IPOs can give no forward-looking financial projections Yep. SPACs, you can project your revenue, your profits, I mean, five years out, 10 years out. And, you know, that is the big difference. And, you know, as you said, Spencer, SEC may come crashing down on that area. Um, but okay. I, I would be willing to take a lunch bet that this uh, this thing uh, does well over the next couple of years. So I, I'm, I'm, let me strong, know. I'm strongly considering just taking 1% of my portfolio and, you know, shooting a dart. And throwing it at at at, at PL or, or DMYQ, um, I'm considering it. Let me say that, okay? I'm, That's big because Spencer doesn't buy a lot of stacks. He's an well. ETF I mean, guy, I, so. I, I I I bought SoFi. I feel like that, that's yeah. a, that's enough spec for for me. But <laughs> and, and 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 I bought the Ackman spec. That was a disaster. Yeah. But um, uh, it was a very bullish interview. I'm always trying to play the other side here and think of the other the the other side of the coin. Um, struggling to find bearish case right now, but but I'm gonna keep thinking about it here going forward. If you have any ideas, drive. If you want to talk me out of it, please do. Please, I welcome it. Well, I think one bear case you have right now, Spencer, is just that, you know, we talked about this before, that sectors come in favor and then they go out of favor. And yeah. I would argue that right now the space sector is very in favor. Um, so if there's any kind of outflow from that over the next say year in the short term then that could hit the stock um but i i i think any time a company is able to position themselves as sort of that data leader data provider yep. in a growing industry um it, it's very bullish for the company long term and we talked about the thing behind the thing so whether that's you know being the data provider and leader in sports betting yeah. or, or space you know any any growing industry like that um definitely makes my ears perk up as an investor this is this is like a long earth play Long Earth, right? Yeah. If you want to bet against Earth, you could probably short the, short the stock as a way to do that. I mean, Spencer, um, you heard him say, so, you, I mean, you're heavy in ETFs. One of the big things with ETFs, right, is ESG, right? The rise of ESG, or ESG ETFs. 
This yeah, is a company geez. that can give ESG profiles for companies. Sure, sure, so I, I think you've got 100%. the play there too as well with the growth of ESG. Before I hop off, I want to make yeah. sure we highlight that we do have another SPAC interview tomorrow. Um, this is oh. a... This is I didn't another, even know that. Okay. You didn't even know that. It. All right. No. Well, finding out for the first time today is Spencer as well. This is a big one. This is another widely followed uh, retail stock right now in the SPAC community. Sports Entertainment Acquisition, S-E-A-H, which is merging with Supergroup, the parent company of Betway. So Betway, of course, you know, has signed several NBA sponsorships with teams. They've got a sponsorship with the NHL. They've got access to several U.S. states. So there's a lot of excitement about this merger. They're going to be a pure play sports betting company, just like a DraftKings. So we're excited for that interview tomorrow, S-E-A-H. Okay, I, I did know that. It, that was one that we had to reschedule. I, I just didn't yep. realize that it was tomorrow. Tomorrow. So, okay, yep. nice. We're, we're going to have uh, uh, the chairman and CFO, right? And the Correct. CEO. We're, we're yep. have the and SPAC. the CEO, yep. Yeah, so okay. the SPAC oh. and the actual company as well, yep. And the, the SPAC nice. is actually, uh, the CEO is uh, Eric Grubman, who used to be the number two with the NFL. Um, so he knows his sports well. He was essentially second in command um, at the NFL when he was there. So he knows where the bodies are buried. <laughs> something like that. Something like that. He knows where All the right. sports betting growth is. So Sure. All right. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, Chris Couchy is... Uh, Benzinga's resident SPAC guru, Chris, did we get to all the SPAC headlines for the week? All right, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow anyway. So, yeah, so we, if we, 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 can... to, we got to everything I have today. I mean, okay. I got to try to save something for tomorrow, right? But that SEAH interview tomorrow is another big one. So, uh, two big true. presentations this week here on Benzinga Live. So, if you have not smashed the like already, please smash the like, guys. And if you enjoyed this SPAC segment, let us know in the comments. And uh, stay tuned. Benzinga Live has more coming up, and I will be back tomorrow. Chris, we'll see you tomorrow, man. See, y'all asked. Y'all asked for Chris. We delivered. I told you Chris wasn't going away. I told you. Chris is coming on the show. We're just going to bring him under the umbrella. But, yeah, we're not abandoning SPACs. People were saying that we're like Benzinga's abandoning. We're not doing anything of of the sort. So I hope you guys like that. We're gonna be we're gonna do that on a regular basis, right? Um, this is obviously a weird week with the holiday and all, um, and and I don't actually think we're gonna do a show Friday, Aaron, unless you want to. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, on a normal week, on a normal week, uh, we're thinking like every Monday and Friday, right? Uh, Chris would come on for a good chunk of time and and talk through spacks with us. Um, so that's the way it's going to be, just so you know. Yep, and, and so we do have Matt Hammond coming on in a few minutes here to yep. talk about some IPOs. But before we get to Matt Spencer, let's just run through some headlines of the day. Oh, did uh, you see that Zoom? That was nice. That was a nice Zoom, Rohan. I, saw, I, I caught you. That was good. So, of course, today, Monday, November 22nd, biggest headline of the day so far has been President Joe Biden's uh, renomination or confirming of Jerome Powell as the head of the Fed. See what I did there, head of the Fed. Um, You know, so as we're going into the new year, Jerome Powell is reconfirmed to lead the Fed. Well, no, he has to be confirmed by the Senate. Yeah, by the Senate next week. So he, so Biden nominates Powell, nominated Powell this morning. Next week, the Senate will have hearings on on whether or not they confirm Jerome Powell. Of course, the uh, you know second. In the running was essentially Lael Bernard, yeah. who was a little bit, you know, she was being touted by some progressives. So 
Um, either way, Powell, Biden cited uh, Biden in the White House cited Powell's um, effectiveness in leading the, the Federal Reserve and the economy through the COVID-19 pandemic. Spencer, we've talked about it before, but the Fed was a lot more willing in uh, 2020 in the COVID-19 pan- pandemic to act with these sweeping fiscal policies uh, compared to the to the recession in 07 and 08. Sure. Um, so, of course, this those sweeping fiscal policies have led to a little bit of inflation, but have also aided in huge growth uh, in terms of jobs and stuff. So it seems like the Fed is willing to tolerate some bit of inflation as long as that inflation is coupled with strong gro- uh, job growth. Uh, J- James Santangelo, are, are you in chat? Um, I, if you are, let me know, because we both, uh, Gregory, Gregory just asked, so why is everything tanking? Yeah, Martin's asking it too. Um, I, I think I can take a victory lap on this. I think I can. I am my original conjecture uh, at 9 a.m. this morning when the news came out was whatever the news is, whatever the reaction is, whether we, if we go up, you fade it, you sell it. If you go down, you buy it. And I I I was a little bit shaky there. I I didn't think I was right. But now that that appears to be the case, man, we have given back all those gains, <laughs> Every, all the gains we made in the market from the from the announcement. Uh, they're gone uh, today. Um, it was a it was a a a sell the news situation. It just took a little while to play out. I didn't have enough conviction in myself. Um, it turned out, but that appears to have been a, a good call. And to your point, AB. I, my my interpretation of the pop was that it was the market saying, "Hey, man, we didn't know what was going to happen, and now we know, and we like knowing things. We don't like not knowing things, right?" So, um, it, it was one last unknown. Market hates unknowns, so 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 that was cool. Um, but like I said, we've given back all those gains now. So, um, yeah. Speaking of giving up those gains, Spencer, can you do me a favor and pull up Tesla's chart? So Tesla this morning was one of the big movers. uh, You know, I don't know if it was related to the Jerome Powell news or not, but Tesla was (laughs) up about three or four percent today at one point. And something big happened. I was actually while we were live on that interview, Spencer, looking at some Tesla puts, but I didn't I didn't pull the trigger on them because it's like, of course, like tesla puts right we've been down that road before we know how that (laughs) ends we have and um so i didn't pull the trigger but i think the same puts that i was looking at would be up about 70 to 80 percent right now and in terms about five 20 minutes or five to ten minutes do we know what happened here no i mean for for tesla to drop two three percent in essentially you know 10 minutes is pretty crazy so we'll we'll have to stay on the lookout to see if we if, if we have any news of what caused this two three percent drop, or if it's all technical based, um, I, I was also looking at some Netflix puts. Because uh, ne- so I was looking at the Netflix puts because at one point today Netflix was down while QQQ was up. So that was just showing me that kind of Netflix Ooh. was showing some relative weakness compared to the to the overall market and other big tech companies. Um, so those Tesla puts that I played are, are up nicely. Um, but yeah, te- Tesla so far has been like the biggest like wow stock of the day for me. Just watching it drop three uh, percent. Chris DePaula just got paid on his Tesla puts. Good for you, Chris. Um, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, Netflix too. I did not realize that. 
Yeah, I mean, this is why usually, uh, usually I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more weighted on the long side when it comes to my trades. But um, this is where it pays off to to be able to kind of play both sides. Uh, here, I'll, I'll, pull, I'll just pull up my Robinhood real quick to to show some of the trades that I opened today. Some live trades with with Benzinga on on our midday show. You know, we do our live trading every day in the morning, but now I'm taking I'm taking some live trades right now. So let me pull this up. Um, I opened this Netflix put up about 50%. This NVIDIA put up about 20%. A Baba call, Spencer. I'll, I'll talk about Baba in a second because we talked about this one a lot. So this is what I'm saying, being able to, to play both sides. Um, so I said earlier that if I saw Baba break below that 139 level where we had previous support, then I liked it on, on essentially a short side. But we broke below there and got to a point where um, you know, I think we can drop a few more dollars here to probably the 132, but I would be surprised. Essentially, I said, like, look, at 135, right? Buyers have to come in for Alibaba. We saw. Uh, Wait, why? What? Why? Why? Yeah. Because it's trading well below the essentially the, the market average in, in terms of, of um, you know, sales. So Alibaba's sales, I think, passed over a billion dollars on the year. Um, and it's and it's trading at a 20 PE ratio, so it's just getting cheap, right? It can still drop a few more dollars, but I was uh, looking for that reversal, which it looks like right when we hit the 135 level that we did see some buyers come in. So once we saw that reversal, I hopped in right here at about 135 and bought the puts that expire uh, December 17th. So this isn't like a long, a long okay. dated like call for me. This is just okay. I think some buyers are going to come in in the short term. Okay. All right. So we we got active positions on. In Alibaba, and we got a Baba call. We got Nvidia Nvi- puts on Netflix. We discussed that puts on Nvidia. I didn't. Was that was that that was from last week, right? No, this was one I opened today. Oh, geez, I thought you had that last week too. No, I don't think so. Let's go to my history on video. We'll, we'll be able to. I, th- I could have sworn there was an Nvidia last week. We talked about. I probably. Oh, I I had a call debit spread last right. week okay. that I closed. All right, twenty minutes ago, we got we got we got puts on Nvidia. Yep, twenty minutes ago. Okay. So essentially the thought process here, Spencer, was I was looking at the chart. I saw we were getting a little toppy up here at around 11 a.m., 345, and video was up 4.5%. It started trading lower, and I, I was looking at the chart. And, it, and really because we were at near all-time highs, there was not a lot of um, support to be caught anywhere. So it looked like as the overall market was turning over, that NVIDIA would continue to drop a few dollars, which it has. Uh, my put contract actually was in the red for a minute when we had this spike back up where we had some buyers coming in right around noon probably 10 minutes ago but then the stock continued to move lower so right now up about 25 percent um hey uh, hey, real fast can i borrow your laptop charger of course thank you appreciate that all right and then there was one let's go through the last one which is celsius no cei camber energy oh sorry um i thought that was celsius no celsius is this was one that i actually opened um last friday i believe the 18th was that last friday or last thursday i don't know one of the two days um and cei is just one of those kind of meme stocks that's always prone to run so i was looking at the chart liked how it was looking bought some calls cei is up like 20 percent today and my calls aren't even i mean my total return is up 12 percent. so not great but i i took some off the board i think i have 
one contract left. No, two contracts left. So, yeah, I mean, if CEI continues to run tomorrow, these calls will be up nicely. If not, then I already took some money off the board, and we should be good. All right. I just want to say something as far as Tesla. I, I we, we asked, what's up with Tesla? Why is it down? Someone in the chat was like, oh, they had an insider seller. That insider seller is not why Tesla is down. Okay, I'm going to go to Benzinger Pro for a second. This is from our news feed. Let's zoom in here, okay? Let's zoom in on this. Um, who was it? Uh, it was, it was, uh, blah, 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 blah. what's his name? Uh, Zachary Kirkhorn. Okay. Zachary Kirkhorn sold a thousand shares, 1250 shares. He still owns 53,000 shares. Oh, damn it. I, now we clicked on it there. He still owns 53,000 shares. He sold 1200 shares out of 55 thousand shares he sold a tiny tiny slice of his of his stake in tesla okay that is nothing it is nothing it is not like when you say an insider made a large sale you imply that somebody like sold half their position or like he's selling because he knows something he sold i don't know what that percentage is but what's 12 you know let's do let's do the math right now what's 1200 Divided by, there we'll do twelve fifty. We'll get specific. How many? You said he had twelve fifty out of, and he had around fifty five thousand. It's about two percent. Right, right. This guy sold two percent of his position. Big deal. Two percent. That's so what? It's nothing. That's a nothing burger. Yeah, it's a large dollar amount, but that's what happens when you have a thousand shares. When you when you've got fifty five thousand shares of Tesla, right? We're talking large dollars here, but that is not why Tesla is down today. I'm sorry. Tesla's but, not even down today. Right now, it's up over a percent, oh, but well, it the, came off its highs. Right, it was well, up about four percent and came down three percent. I mean, no. a, a big move for a stock of that magnitude, uh, moving down three percent in about yeah. ten, fifteen no. minutes, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, let us know in the chat what else you guys are watching today. I see uh, Mad Notes is talking about Dats and B A K K T. Oh, I haven't looked at Bach in a while. Damn it, my computer just. Oh, there we go. Okay, um, and then we'll, and we will bring on Matt Hammond imminently. I, I just want to look at this Bakht. Uh, what, what's the damn? What's the damn ticker for Bakht? Do we remember? B A K K T. No, no, that's the company name. What's B K? Is it B K K T? Yeah, okay, B K K T. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's without the A. Um, down thirteen percent today. Woo wee. Freaking, that's weird. Anyway. 14% now. Okay. Uh, drop your tickers in, and we will take a look um, as the day is going. Yes, Rockin' Rozzy. We do have a Black Friday promotion. I'll get you the direct link for it, but we do have we, – we've got a Black Friday promotion for everything. So while Matt is going through his IPOs, I will use that time to get you links. I promise you. Um, oh, and Arf says that Zachary sells monthly. So there you go. Who cares? I'll get. I'll put links in the chat. Don't worry about that. Uh, we'll, we'll do that during the match segment. But Matt Hammond is here with us now. He runs the IPO Warriors. Joins us every Monday to run through the uh, the previous week, what happened last week in IPO land, what's going to happen this week in IPO land. My assumption was nothing would happen this week because it's a holiday week. But that appears not to be the case. You know what, what they say about assuming, Spencer? I made an... As out of Yume. 
you, you me, and Matt. All right, without further ado. Yeah, I don't know. Let's go ahead and bring Matt on the program. Okay. Matt, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm already being made an ass of, and I'm just, you know, getting the day started. No, no, here. I made an ass. He's <laughs> saying I made an ass. I- because Spencer I'm, wrongly assumed we had no news on the IPO front, and so, you know, like... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Is that true? First off, let's correct the record. Mm-hmm. Do we, do we have there IPO stuff this week? There is we news? Do. There is news. Surprisingly, I was also surprised, so um, less of an assumption wow. and more of just uh, a that logical string of thoughts. But, um, you know, it, it is interesting conditions. If I were trying to stealthily... Uh, bring an IPO into uh, into the market with little fanfare or public notice, I would be looking at this week. And uh, we know that the stealth IPO is always lurking in the shadows. And uh, I will be keeping an eye on one specifically that we talked about several months ago that never came live and has now had a little bit of action in its uh, filings. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But last week was a great week for trading IPOs. I mean, we had some phenomenal opportunities and really a great week for uh, just kind of looking at strategy, learning strategy. Uh, We had a lot of new uh, followers, uh, several hundred new uh, Twitter followers last week. So it seems like IPO trading is starting to kind of catch on. Uh, A lot of people joined the newsletter. If you go to uh, IPOWarriors.com, sign up for the newsletter. And, um, you know, things are... On one hand, you know, IPOs do kind of become their own bubbles. And we saw a great example of that last week. And uh, I think as we go through some of the examples, there's a lot to learn from what we saw last week. So let me share my screen here and we can go over, um, you know, what was in the the cards from last week. Because, you know, weeks like this where, yes, we do have some IPOs, but they're pretty, they're a bit sleepy. I'm not sure any of them are really high conviction. And uh, this is a time to kind of reflect on what happened in the last couple of weeks, prepare for the home stretch, which is kind of now through January. I expect that we'll see quite a few IPOs and um, sort of sharpening our, our swords and getting ready to uh, capitalize on some of the, the trends that we're seeing here is always the name of the game. Uh, did want to check out on the fundraising campaign. Uh, we've now raised, uh, so you can see the lighting is a bit better this week. Um, Benzinga has sent out a microphone, a new headset, and a LCD monitor. So I'll be able to uh, see myself a little better while we're filming these. And uh, I want to do some live trading of IPOs. Still raising money if you go to fundly.com, IPO Warriors slash streaming or dash streaming dash equipment. Um, getting more lights, just going to get some software equipment and do videos on uh, the IPO previews and really appreciate everyone who's come out and supported me. Um, I keep my trading money in my trading account. My wife doesn't particularly support me uh, spending money on gear, but um, you know, through the support of the community, I'm able to upgrade what I have to bring you guys a better product here and to devote more time to the research. So last week, the winning trades were pretty predictable. Uh, We called out Sono Group for sure. That was the solar-powered electric vehicle. And if you bought the debut and held it through to the very peak, which happened to be early pre-market on day two, uh, you stood to take 165% win. Uh, That is pretty incredible. 
And I want to bring up the chart here just to show you something about this one, though. And that is, these are not plays you necessarily want to hold for a long time. Um, this opened up at 2006. And the really kind of smart, safe move is to, it went into, I think, two halts, maybe three halts here, is to take a part of your position off the table at each halt. And you can say, oh, well, you know, if you sold at 30, you missed the opportunity to sell at 40 at the end of the day or, you know, up at 50, 45, 50 on day two. But you don't know that that's going to happen. I mean, this company doesn't even right. make any cars yet. They're putting basically, you know, from the prototypes look like they've reassembled the door and roof panels on, an, you know, on a BMW. At least that's what a lot of the rumors were from a few years ago. This thing started as a Kickstarter campaign and it's already back down below the debut price. So when you see this, these kinds of opportunities and you're playing a momentum trade, don't fall in love with the idea. I mean, I'd say take profits as quickly as you can. I, you know, finally felt like last week I got over sort of the yips I had from uh, misplaying an IPO a few weeks ago. And just, you know, my dad was in the hospital. He stabilized. So I was finally like, I think a little bit more clear headed, but I still short arm this one a little bit. I'm not going to regret taking profits ever. And the reason is you don't want to get in a habit of getting to here and say, oh, Rivian, you know, went from 100 to 172. So you know, this is just day one. This is going to 100 easily. You know, Rivian's pulled all the way back to what, 110 today or something. Um, these things, what's hot right now in the market one day is forgotten about the next day. So if you took profits on the way up, good for you. If you hold out a piece of your position into the end of the day, that's great too. But once it dips below VWAP here, this is really can go either way. And we're going to see another one in a minute here that went the other way. And this part is predictable to me. Uh, the hype was there. The buzzwords were there. It's only 10 million share float. I mean, look, already the float has ballooned from 10 million shares. There was some uh, lockup and warrants or something here that we didn't catch in the S1 uh, that is now 65 million shares. So there's been a massive dilution since the 10 million shares on day one to three days later, three sessions later, 65 million shares. And if you sell on the way up, you're inevitably going to be giving up uh, what, you know, the upward direction that follows. But you don't know how much upward direction there is. And the way down is so much harder to sell. It's so much harder for me to have seen a stock hit, say, 30 and then it comes back to 25 and me just wanting it to go back to 30 or higher to placate my ego or, I mean, I'm still up, but it just feels better to me when I sell on the way up. I go, okay, well, I spent like 20 minutes on this trade and I made 30% on a pretty big position. Uh, I can go enjoy the rest of my day, spend some time with my kids, go get some exercise in the gym. You know, that feels really good to me. Whereas um, once you kind of have that, oh, I should have, I should have sold it higher, should have sold it higher. You start holding on. When you start holding on, you just kind of, it's like sand uh, slipping through your fingertips, you know, as you, you try to like grab that, you know, grab it tighter and tighter and it just bleeds out. And then, you know, you end up selling for no profit. And the worst is, I mean, my worst loss ever is still letting, get, getting uh, psychologically mind um, fudged on a bumble. And, uh, you know, just wouldn't let it go. And I should have sold on the way up. And I, that's why up on my, I got a piece of paper over here, is take profits without regret. That's rule number one. Rule number two, don't chase. So the next one I want to look at is 
that was SEV, uh, multiple halts. You take take out, just take out, you know, 30% on the first halt, 30% on the second halt. If you want to let the, less, the rest ride for the end of the day run, great. Otherwise, just take your money out here and be happy with a huge win, you know, in 45, what is this, 30, 40 minutes of trading. Uh, BRZE. I'm going to skip this one. It was just a tech company debut was super high, gave you a little opportunity to make money, no downside really. But again, after day one, uh, you know, you want to get out of this and take, you know, take your money early on these. These are not, you know, people say, Oh, don't buy the IPO. You don't buy the IPO if you are in for a long-term hold, that's generally the rule, but there are plenty of opportunities to make profits on the hot ones where demand shows up. Uh, Sweet garden. This is a great example of one that, was so hot like the ipo priced at 23 to 25 or the range was 23 to 25 and then it priced at 28 that's that is indicative of very strong demand um allocations were fairly thin they do we have seen ipos get more allocations to retail traders um but this was one where it's kind of like the third of you know the regional chain food and beverage IPOs. We had Dutch Brothers kind of caught everybody off guard. Um, Portillo's, that one was sort of like, oh, wait, we you know we should have seen this. Dutch, Dutch Brothers did crazy. And then Sweetgreen, I mean, the debut price was up at, the pre-debut indication price was started at like in the 30s. And it was like, oh, great, this one's gonna be hot. Everybody in, you know, Twitter had, you know, flames and rocket ships and all this stuff being posted. Then it went up to 40. And you're kind of like, ah, oh, well, it just must be really high demand, really strong. Everybody wants this. And then they started showing debut prices of 51. And then it got as high as like 55, 56. It was just like, hmm, I don't think that this goes much higher from here. I mean, uh, I sort of mentally given myself the day off. I was just realizing and, you know, talking to my wife about it. She doesn't know much about stocks, but she knows me. And she said, man, you need to just take a day off. Uh, you know, take it up, don't play this. And I still almost pulled myself into this one. But <laughs> once I saw debuts up at, you know, 100, I mean, 100%, there's not a lot of room after that. And when something's like, everybody wants to get in on it, IPOs can get played out before they go live. We saw this with uh, Coinbase. We saw this with um, even Rivian on the day one. You know, we saw this with Snowflake. Uh, we saw this with Rivian. Um, on day one, you know, they open up and they go up a little bit for a while, for, you know, for a few minutes. I think they're, you know, generally I, I can see about 10 or 20 minutes of upward move and then sell off. And that is because these things still are up relative to the IPO price. So Sweet Garden, once it hit 56, you're talking 100% of the IPO price. It's up 100%. So anybody who has the IPO that can sell, is probably looking at that and going, okay, I'm done. Uh, I'll you know, take prior. I was already just waiting to see if it went up. Now I'll sell. Um, and it just, it, it was such a technical trade. If you did want to play this, you wanted to get in on the debut, which would have been 51.70 or 51.77. I forget exactly what it was. Um, and then you've got to, you know, once it does move up, which you're expecting because there's so much demand and not everybody knows to buy in with a limit order before the debut. You want to set your stop loss at like 52 and then inch it up a little bit as this breaks up into 53, 54. But this was a, would have been such a hard trade to 
you know, to just say, okay, well, I'm going to set my limit order at like 55 or 54.95 or something. And to what? To take, you know, a few dollars on a potential downside that could be anywhere between the IPO price and the debut price. That to me is a high risk trade, uh, just too hot to handle, um, kind of overblown uh, before it ever debuted. And this is why, you know, I, I have gotten better at getting, I'll get really pumped up for big IPO. I was really pumped up for this one. I thought, you know, for sure, if this opens in the mid thirties, this is running up to like 45 or 50, there's going to be a, a really good opportunity. I mean, SEV just gave a great opportunity the day before. It looked like this was going to be the next one, but everybody piled into this one. And you just have to kind of learn to accept that not every great IPO is going to be great for the retail buyer buying the debut. Some are going to be really good for the IPO traders and not leave much left on the table. So the next big one was on Friday and this one was pretty easy to spot. I was able to kind of regroup the day before, get my mind together and take a really big win on this one uh, into the weekend. And this was Snow Lake Resources, Lithium. Um, you know, Lithium is basically the oil for EVs. So uh, everybody's pretty hot on lithium. I don't plays. even remember this. <laughs> I don't even remember this. Got, this. Yeah, this got added and uh, you know went out in the newsletter, but it didn't go out. I don't think we reviewed it on the show. Wait, wait, uh, what day was what day was this? This was Friday, and oh, I, don't, I don't even. I yeah, fr Friday is always a bit of a wild card. And one of the things yeah. that I want to point out here is that um, well, first let's just say what it did. Uh, lithium priced at seven fifty. And at first I was like, okay, well, you know, lithium should be hot. Everything EV is on fire right now. Um, this is an, a lithium miner. They haven't even started mining operations. They are going to be up in Canada. Apparently the Canadian government is ultra supportive of this. They're doing a full electric powered mine. So there's a eco sustainability angle to it. And you know what? What I was looking for was, are people talking about this on social media? You know, I go to Twitter, I'm going to Reddit, I'm looking up Google Trends, I'm seeing if people are searching and looking for this stuff. And the, you know, the, the buzz was pretty strong on this. And uh, when I see a debut that starts indicating at uh, 15, um, so we saw the indication prices at around 15, and then they brought it down, which I like to see. They did the same thing with uh, SEV. Uh, they indicated first at 30 and then they brought it down to 20 went live at 2006 this one went live at 1150 and you know was able to take a pretty big position and just sit back and wait for it to halt up it took about one minute um halted up i took half my position out here the rest up here with the limit order and yeah i missed out on what could have been uh bigger gains but i also made almost 10 grand in you know half an hour of trading and, uh, you know, Friday, Friday wow. off early, go spend time good with trade. family. Good trade. Feel good man. about going into the weekends. Yeah. Good, um, trade. good trade. And the thing, the thing I really want to show you here is why I like to, why I don't like to be greedy and why I tend not to double dip on these types of plays. Um, so this is SEV versus lithium, arguably very similar setups relatively low floats, a lot of social media buzz, EV power related, and they both in, you know, they both had similar indications. They 
uh, so when I say indication, we can see on the Webull app, we can see the price that the stock is going to go live at uh, before it actually starts trading on the day of the IPO. And there's a balancing process where they're pairing up the seller's shares. People who are saying, I just want to sell when it goes live. I, I, you know, I'm willing to take whatever premium I can get right here. And then the buyers, which are people like me and other uh, IPO buyers or traders who are saying, look, I couldn't buy the IPO shares, but I'm going to buy this the second that it opens for debut by placing a limit order above whatever this indication price is. Now, this indication price fluctuates quite a bit uh, until they've paired up all the shares. And it, this, you know, with SEV, we saw it start at around 30. They kind of tested the pricing around 30. Then they brought it steadily down to about 20. And that to me shows demand, you know, significantly above the IPO price. But they, they gave it some room. I mean, there was demand up at 30, uh, but they couldn't pair all the shares. So they brought it down a little bit until they could pair up all the shares. We saw the same thing with, uh, you know, with Snow Lake. Uh, they indicated up at 15, then brought it down to about 11. I really like seeing that. And I'll often take that first indication price as sort of my target exit. And, and we saw that actually in both of these. This one topped out at about just over 30 on the initial run. This one topped out at about 15 on the initial run. So we saw both of them do this first move up. Uh, Lithium actually had kind of the second leg right away, uh, but they both did this pullback below VWAP. Now this VWAP is really a great indicator for, um, for IPO trades. That's the volume weighted average price. It's the average price at which shares have been traded during the day and day traders a lot of for a lot of day traders, this is kind of like the uh, the north star or the compass by which you are going to trade uh, trade against. Yes, it is. The the theory being that well, once it's above the average price, people start to sell, um, and people once it's below the the average price, people see that as a buying opportunity. So when these make that dip below VWAP, a lot of people say, okay, well that's why I want to I'm going to take another play on this, and I want to show you why that's pretty dangerous and especially the difference between, because we see this a lot, midweek IPOs tend to have more follow through. They have more follow through into the end of the day and they have more, uh, a better chance my, from my experience of having a day two run off the media cycle. That being probably because people have short attention spans and over the course of a weekend- Damn straight, damn straight. And, you know, going into, uh, holiday week of all things, you know, the Friday, the Friday fallout was, you know, intense on this one. It went from, you know, a high of 18 down to close at 12. And I think now it's down to like 950 or something. So these trades get forgetting, get forgotten about very quickly. I highly advise, you know, recognizing, am I in something like Rivian where they're going to be talking about it for days? Or am I in something like SCV, which is a little bit of a gimmick play uh, that gets hot, you know, one, you know, one day, and then people are kind of like, okay, what's the next thing? I mean, we are seeing we're, we're in an era right now where I mean, look at Wajo from um, uh, from yesterday. Was it yesterday or uh, Friday? A couple also? days ago, yeah. yeah, yeah. Also Friday. I mean, I had the Voso on my on my radar. I missed my entry the day before by literally like five cents. Uh, getting too fancy with uh, trying to sh- save a little bit of money with a limit limit order. And the next day it runs to what nineteen, and then Friday, and then today it's back down to nine dollars again. So 
we're not seeing a lot of uh, consistency. It's kind of like soup of the day, flavor of the day, trade of the day, and then on to the next one. So if you are trading these stocks, uh, especially the IPOs, on down days, recent IPOs get hit pretty hard. On up days, uh, the low phones especially, or any kind of headline, they'll fly. Uh, but especially IPO trades, one of the things I love about them is when they go well, you're making your money really quickly and you can pretty much take the rest of the day off. So um, that's, that's what I wanted to cover for last week. This week I wanted to cover um, just a couple IPOs. Wow. And they're... Yeah, it looks like there's more. I mean, they're all there are five IPOs. They're, they're all, all on a Wednesday. That's interesting. They're all on Wednesday because Thursday is a holiday and Friday is like a half day. So if anything yeah, shows up Friday, yeah. I will. And it has anything before a holiday. For example, China, I will sell almost every bag that I'm holding and put a ton of money into it because uh, we'll, we'll get to the stealth IPO play here in a little bit here. I'll, I'll save that for the end. Um, so Singulate, this is improved drug delivery technology for ADHD treatments that are already improved. And this was rescheduled. This has been rescheduled a couple times. Um, I don't know anything about this underwriter, Landenberg Thalman. Uh, there have been a lot of lesser known characters in the underwriter, uh, you know, in the underwriter slot on these low float IPOs. There are some that have a reputation for delivering kind of ridiculous runs. Those are specifically Network One Financial and uh, Bosted Securities. Another, so anything they do, I'm definitely like on high watch, but now Maxim Group is on kind of on that list after delivering SOPA and a few other low float IPOs that really ran. So the underwriter matters and I don't know this underwriter. It's interesting, but I've pretty much resigned myself to a rule of not playing biotech anymore. They're so hard to get excited about. The buzz has to be COVID um, or maybe psychedelics, something, I don't know. It has to be something that's really buzzy for these to, to work out. Otherwise you end up getting stuck in a bag with absolutely no catalysts for a long time. They're not going to get a day two media hype. They're not going to get earnings boost. They're not going to get a big run on the expiration of the silent period. The only catalyst is, you know, uh, FDA approval or orphan status, some kind of FDA news. And that's, Next. that's a lot. <laughs> Austin Gold also rescheduled from last week. Gold exploration in Nevada, corporate offices in Vancouver, BC. Someone pointed out to me that uh, the original penny stock pump and dumps were always the gold, um, you know, the gold mining stocks. <laughs> That's true. Uh, That's true. These guys are pre-revenue. Uh, their website is laughably terrible, uh, which to me, it does matter. I mean, I've seen more bad IPOs have crappy websites than good ones. Um, a company who's really a company cares about their marketing, cares about their image, the ones that are just going you know, going public to cash out their stock or uh, pump and dump their, um, you know, the shares they've been holding on to. They're not going to put a lot into their website. Uh, having said that, the CEO of this company did just sell like a week or two ago his previous company, which was also a gold mining firm, That's for $2.8 billion. 
So, uh, you know, and it was at a premium to something like a 30% premium to the current share price. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Roth Capital is the underwriter. People tend not to like Roth. I don't know what they did in their past, but it seems like they screwed <laughs> some people. And I've stayed out of their IPOs because every one that I've watched has either not done well because people don't pile in or taken a long time before people are like, okay fine maybe this company is actually doing something but i don't get a lot of you know there's not a lot of buzz for gold uh, i think people are going to kind of already have one foot out the door on wednesday and looking for a reason not to trade anything so i'm not particularly bullish on anything just because you know retail demand has to be pretty okay. intense to drive anything up uh i'm kind of going to skip through these two uplistings i couldn't get a lot of information on them skylight health corp specialty provider of affordable health care. It's up, uplisting from uh, the TSX. Couldn't even get nailed down the share count because I was that disinterested in hunting it down and it wasn't didn't just pop up in my easy Google searches. Uh, it's not the kind of play I'd be very interested in anyway. And uh, uplistings, unless they have a kind of a sneaky up, you know, underwriter or they are in a space that is particularly intriguing um, Bitcoin, when Bitcoin's soaring, uh, something like that. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like them that much. We had a good example last week, AHI, uh, which was an Australian uplisting. They do like body image scanning. And it, it, it was not only confusing in terms of, they said, oh, this, the float is 1 million shares, but it was actually 1 million units. And each unit had two shares and a warrant and there was another 98% of stock, which could be sold at any time at the underwriter's discretion. And it was just kind of like, uh, no thanks. And it did not do well. It debuted at like five something and dropped, I think it's at $3 now or something. So I don't really like those listings too much unless they are underwritten by like Bosted Securities for some obscure Chinese company. Okay, uh, Sangoma Technologies actually sounds like a fairly, no, I'm not gonna say that. This one's boring. It's communications as a service. It sounds a lot like some of the other ones that have not done well. It's not uh, listing. <laughs> yeah, blah, blah, blah. Okay, this one's sort of interesting. If you had to, if you said, Matt, you have to play an IPO this week, what's it gonna be? I'd say, okay, well, this one. Um, AeroClean Technologies, it's 2.5 million shares. They have a patented technology that basically cleans the air, like their air purifiers focus at it, like focus on antiviral. So you say, okay, well, hospitals and uh, waiting rooms, pretty much everybody would like to feel safer in their space given COVID and now the flu season. So, you know, these guys have patented technology. It fits the COVID buzzword and there's nothing else to trade on Wednesday. The float is 2.5 million shares. And if Twitter's buzzing about this and Reddit heads are talking about it, and I don't know. Like I said, if I Wait, had to trade this, what this wasn't the stealth one, right? That's next. Yeah. Okay. One second. Okay. We actually have kind of two stealth things to talk about. First one is the one that I meant to talk about, and this is GSUN. Um, this is one that we talked about last uh, June, and it's a Chinese education company. And who in their right mind would invest what? in a Chinese education? Come company? on now. Wait, you don't want to go on now. Come on now. You got to give me something better than this. Okay. Chinese education. Tell me why you shouldn't run for the run for the hills. You should run to your bank account, grab a bunch of cash, 
fund everything into your your trading account. What? This is not financial advice. This is just what I'm probably going to do. Why? Um, because I've made a fortune on uh, stealth IPOs, and this has, I mean, this looks like a duck, talks like a duck, walks like a duck, shits like a duck. This is like we called this out six months ago. This is Network One Financial. Uh, they are the ones that, along with Boasted, were in on UTME. Um, they were in on uh, eBet, I think it was. They were in on CPOP. I mean, they've been a part of a whole bunch of these. And anytime that we get these kind of 5 million share floats, ties to China, I mean, why would a Chinese education company want to go public now? That's what because I'm asking. Because rich Chinese people are panicking to get their money out of China right now. And yeah, these no, IPOs yeah, are the perfect No, no, you're right. That, 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 that makes total sense. That makes total sense. So um, why I'm would anybody you. else want to buy this, though? Okay, because this is likely to do what SOPA did uh, two weeks ago. Uh, it's going to do one of two things, in my opinion. It is either going to... Okay, so the IPO is going to price it about $5. Let's just say $5. Uh, the debut is what I'll be watching. If we get a debut that's somewhere in the neighborhood of, say, 9 to $17, then we know something's up. Um, that's confirmation to me that, hey, this is going to be uh, this is going to be run up to you know, $20, $30 on the initial spike, uh, 40 to 50 by the, you know, at the end of day run and likely a day two run up to like 60 or 70. Go back and look at the chart of SOPA and CPOP and compare the two, you uh, throw UTME in there. There are others, um, but they all follow the same routine. The okay. other scenario that we see is that it does something like JZXN or I forget the other one, SN. I forget what the other one was. There was another one, SNDG. I forget what it was, but there was another one where they just ripped the debut price up to like 45. Now, if we see this okay. debut at 45, I'm not going to play that game because they've already like, um, you know, there's no chairs left at that point. They've already played the music and, you know, they're walking in after the party. And those just all right. Straight I'm going to be watching this one. I'm going to be watching this, this one. Comes, we don't know. The reason that I've put it back on watch is I have my alert set up and I got a, an alert that they have amended the F1 uh, filing with SEC on November 16th. So that tells me that they are getting this one ready. And one of the hallmarks okay. of the stealth IPO is that they don't really promote it. They don't really want us crashing their party. They want to move shares with nobody else involved because what they're really doing is moving money. It is my opinion. Uh, they're really moving money out of China to uh, Hong Kong or Singapore or America. And the less people that know about it, the greater the chances that it runs. <laughs> so if they don't right. announce, so if they announce it, well, I wasn't wrong. We, we, I said the same thing, SOPA, that SOPA was going to be, you know, was a crap, you know, crappy e-commerce company, but smelled a lot like a, a stealth. And what did that one do? Went from like 16 to the next day was at 70. So uh, just uh, All right. you know, shake I, I, I want to have my eyes on this one, Matt. Well, we got to wrap it up there. Okay. All right. Wait, Matt wait, had one, him, more, uh, one, one more. One more. One, one more. more. Come yes. on, man. I thought that was it. It was. And then something else came up. So I gave you guys pets um, when it was at $1.20 about on September 30th. And then it ran up to about 8 bucks. It's about five twenty-five right now. So there's another uh, Chinese random company that has pulled a similar move. 
and that is P L I N. And uh, yeah. So let me. So let me pull. Let me pull up a chart here. Hold on a second. I got a chart here too. P L I N. This okay. What? It's one dollar. What is this? Yeah. Okay. You got it too. Okay. So here we go. So they have just done a, you know, another direct offering um, below the current price and the stock went down initially and then they ran it up. So my theory is, Ryan, we know for a fact that Chinese wealthy are panicking and they are trying to figure out ways to get money out of China. And one of the ways that they can do that is by putting stock in the hands of someone they know outside of you know the country, taking a bunch of their cash in the in China, and buying that stock from the person that they just gave it to. That effectively moves the stock from their account to whoever's selling it. And the easiest way to do that is through an IPO or a direct listing um, or an uplisting. We saw this with FCUV. We saw this with pets, and we saw this with um, and I think we're seeing it with this one. So these are totally speculative, entirely based on the assumption that Chinese wealthy are panicking and trying to get their money out, which we believe to be true. I mean, there's articles being written on it in uh, you know, China Daily, which I subscribe to. And uh, this, is, you know, this is a way for them to facilitate that. So I took a little play here. I'm not going to go hog wild on this, but I got in here at 140 and you know, we'll see what it does. But uh, if you're looking for something... I mean, what are you going to, everything else is down. I guess you could go dip buying today, but uh, I like these plays. So, these, these have worked out well for me. All right. Matt Hammond from IPO Warriors. Matt, thanks a lot, man. Have a good rest of your week. Happy, happy Thanksgiving, sir. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Good luck with your week, too. All right. Um, hey, hey, AB, uh, I, we, we don't have an, our next guest on for uh, for a couple minutes here, but I wanted we got a lot more things to, to get to um, in this short window. Did you see the viral video of the weekend? The Steph Curry one? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah? Yeah. Did everyone, does anyone in the chat, you all know what I'm talking about? Let's uh, go ahead and play it for I'll, I'll, Let me bring it up on the screen here. Did you all see this? I woke up to like a 50 freaking alerts on Saturday morning. Boom. So what happened was the Golden State Warriors were in town on Friday night, right? And here's a video that they tweeted. Oh, look. Someone's wearing a Benzinga t-shirt. Look at that. I spy a J-Raz. Oh, wait. This was playing rock, paper, scissors. That's Steph Curry. Basketball, savant, greatest three-point three shooter ever. Oh, look. There's Jason Raznick behind him because that's his son. Wait, pause it right there. Yeah. This was my favorite uh, untalked about part of the video, that gentleman it, it behind Raz in the tan hoodie. That guy, the St. Louis Cardinals? Wearing a St. Louis Cardinals hat. Okay. So Wait. I, I got to find him, see maybe he's from St. Louis, maybe he's just a big Cardinals fan. But either way, it's kind Wait, of— Wait, so let's back it up. So here we see the sign— Right, and, and, and the sign comes into play later because the sign said rock, paper, scissors. Here, he, 
Rock, paper, scissors for a pair of shoes. If I win, I get your shoes. And if you win, you get my shoes. Look at that. You can't pay for that kind of advertising. Well done, Jason. This video has 767,000 views on Twitter. See it right there. Well done, Jason. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I, I just realized that my sound is off, uh, so you can hear it. But um, Jason's a genius, not only for facilitating, well, Josh facilitated it, but it, for, to have Josh in the Benzinga shirt oh. while courtside was just a, a great touch. Because his kids are cute. Well, yeah, and if we yeah. got this video, but Josh is wearing like a Pistons jersey, it doesn't have the same no. uh, marketing effect for and Benzinga. So. Like I said, I woke up to notifications. Someone was like, whose kid is like Add Spencer, at Joel. Like, Jay, whose kid is this? Well, they obviously, people asking that, obviously did not notice Jason. No, they didn't. in no, the background didn't. filming the whole thing. Um, but, yeah, that's an awesome moment for Josh. Josh just had an eventful year. Josh, we got to meet Phil Mickelson at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Uh, I know he played rock, paper, scissors with the Pistons, Killian Hayes. Um, what? Yeah, so I mean, wait. Chris is asking the important question, but did Steph give up his shoes? Oh no, Steph won. No, so, so did Steph get Josh issues? No, I, I don't know if Josh offered and Steph politely declined, or if Josh just didn't offer his shoes and they just overlooked it. But honestly, it, it was good for Steph to be a man of his word and not give the shoes out, um, just because. But. Maybe he should have taken Josh's shoes. Maybe that'd be a fun story. So if that if that if that was gonna happen, did Jason and Josh bring an extra pair of shoes? Is my question. Do you think? Or no? No. No, they probably didn't do that. No. Well, let's be honest. But yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, Benzinga sort of went viral in a weird way because that clip was everywhere on Friday night slash Saturday morning. Um, I literally was out of breakfast on Saturday morning, and in on the TV in the diner, like. Um, they showed the clip and and literally my my fiance was like wait a minute isn't that Jason and I turned around and it was freaking Jason on TV anyway this is just a weird clip anyway I thought that was fun wanted to show that if you haven't seen that already uh, Josh Rasnick going viral over the weekend um, what else was on the list to discuss here because there are some few questions from the chat that that, that I want to get to do you have anything else that are that's on your radar here AB um, yeah let me check so I know we had. Uh, well, we haven't talked about all the earnings plays this week. We're oh, we course, haven't. We're, of we... course, coming out of earnings season, but we still have a few more this week. Yeah. Primarily on the retail front. Well, of course, we have Zoom today after hours. Yeah, um, good point. So we have Zoom today after hours. I know we have Burlington, I believe, tomorrow pre-market. We have Gap. We have Nordstrom's. We have... Um, all right. Here's a Zoom chart. We should probably start there, right? Because, gosh... Zoom has just been brutalized. Brutalized. I if you're long Zoom, I am sorry. It's tough. It's a tough year. Um we use we pay for Zoom at Benzinga. We use it. We've been using Zoom for I don't know, 3 years, 4 years. Um it's it's tough. You you've got to figure there's some kind of support right right here. Aaron, right here at 242. Yeah, and I actually, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I might look at some YOLO calls on Zoom for, for a potential great earnings, I think, between. No, don't, don't, don't do that, man. Well, hear me out, right? So we have, uh, you know, as we move toward going back into office, I think we're going to see more and more kind of hybrid 
uh, workplaces as opposed to fully in office or fully remote. So, of course, in the hybrid um, workplace, Zoom will still be a major player. Um, and who knows, maybe the company, you know, says something in their guidance saying, oh, hey, look out with this rising, uh, you know, COVID across certain states, across certain parts of the country, that Zoom could get another pop. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, the, the, the chart's just been so beaten down. We're looking at weeklies right here. Yeah. I don't know what they, maybe, I don't know what they can say. Maybe they say like the metaverse. I have no idea. What can they say that will make people be like, whoa, I should go out and buy Zoom. I don't know. Well, I think it's like a I great said, product. We use Zoom. Zoom is awesome. We use Zoom. Zoom is not. Uh, uh, Shelly said Google Hangouts is better than Zoom. No, it's not. Zoom is amazing, right? As a product and a service. But just the stock. What can they say? I, I mean, I, I think that's it. I think that part of the reason Zoom has become so out of favor is because a lot we we've kind of uh, reopened and started going back to office a lot quicker than people uh, initially thought. But part of that, I think, will be this integration of a hybrid workplace uh, that's here to stay, right? Like, I don't think that's going anywhere. And part of that hybrid workplace will be Zoom or Google Meets or whatever it is. Um, Eduardo saying that on on my offices, people still working from home, but we don't use Zoom. They use Microsoft Teams. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we use Google Meets and Zoom here, Spencer, but kind of like in- interchangeably. I don't really have a strong preference, one or the other. All right, I'm, I'm going to do a survey in the chat right now. Is the all-time high in? Will Zoom ever make a new all-time high ever again? That's the question. Will ZM ever make a new all-time high? Yes for yes. No for no. Survey and chat. The all-time high on Zoom is what? 600-something? It got that high. Wow. What's the all-time high? No, it didn't. 588. 588 is what Zoom got to. We're down. uh, Yeah, I mean, it's been just an absolutely terrible year. Well, then, Spencer, I implore you to, you know, Put your money where your mouth is. Put on a trade for for Zoom and into the earnings. Should, should I into the earnings, man? That you're putting me on the spot now. Yeah, I mean, it, you can take some risk off. I mean, you can, we can do. All like right, a, okay. Should should I should I go and like sell some claws or something or or, or buy? I mean, should, should I buy some puts? You're bearish into earnings. So what we could do if you wanted to, because contracts do get a little pricey for Zoom. If you wanted to, uh, you know. Um, not put as much risk out there. What you could do is you could do like a put debit spread. Um, well, here let me share my. Okay, share your screen. Walk me through this trade here that we're gonna. We don't even. We haven't thought thought it through yet. So say you think. It. Yeah. Um, Zoom's gonna drop five percent, right? That would be about twelve dollars. So it would bring us down to, um, right at, right at two thirty, right? So what we could do is we can go to to. Um, the options. We'll do that ones that expire this Friday because we don't need a, we don't need a lot. Of, wait, wait, wait. Why not just go to? No, all right, fine. Whatever. This Friday because we're only playing the move tonight. Or, or uh, okay, okay, into the open. Fine, we're not playing fine, like fine, a long fine. move. Okay. Um, wait. Does this mean I'm gonna have to like do something on Friday? No. Okay. No. Okay. Because I don't want to have to do anything. So if we do this put debit spread, um. It, it would cost us $185 to put out the trade, $185. Yeah. Um, and, and we can see from this chart right here 
So if Zoom is above 233... 20. 233.20. I'm, I'm good. Then, well, if it's at 233.20, then you're exactly break even. Anything, no, it's above it, I'm bad. If it's below it, I'm good. Exactly. Above it, we lose out. Essentially, we lose out on that 180 that we paid for the trade. If it's below it, um, if it's below 230, so anywhere below 230, we max out our profit at 325. So you're putting out 180 to potentially profit 325. That's if we get uh, more than a 5% drop tomorrow into earnings or after the earnings, I should say. If, if it's in between that, uh, our strike prices, in between the 230 and 233, um, then you will still make money, just not as much as that max profit of 305. This doesn't look that bad to me. I got to say, like, I, I may just do that because not on Robinhood because I don't have a Robinhood account, but I hop into my uh, Fidelity account or my 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 YOLO Weeble account. And, uh, yeah, this, 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 this yeah, I, think, I think you may have talked me into this. It is expensive. But... I mean, it, it, you're, you're paying 180 to. Uh, I'm sorry. What was the 233 was the break even? Uh, yeah, we're, yeah. We're eight bucks away. That's not a lot. Wait, have we moved since I started looking at them? Yeah, now it's 190. Um, but yeah, I mean, I actually, I, I was kind of on the other side, Spencer. Like, I would not be surprised if we see some strong guidance come out of Zoom um, uh, and kind of pop. I mean, let's look at the chart. It's so out of favor right here that. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Wait, I he, there was a chart that I, 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 I want to bring up this chart. I got it. I saw it this morning. It was from Wedbush. And it'll take me a second to find it. Um, this was so funny. So looking at the Zoom chart uh, on a longer term horizon, Spencer, we can go back to kind of March 2020 on the onset of the pandemic. Yep. Zoom was trading at about $105. Went all the way to 250 So, right, you're already up 100% if you bought in right at the onset of the pandemic. <laughs> And a lot of people were probably like, okay, like that, that's a huge move for Zoom. And then it goes from 250 all the way up to 560. So if you yeah. thought you missed out in July, the, the, the first summer of COVID, then, you know, I think that's what I thought. Like, oh my God, this has already gone up 150%, whatever. And then it went up another 100%. Um, and of course, since then, it's coming back down. But yeah, like you pointed out earlier, we are sitting right now at, at kind of previous support. Okay, I, I so I can't bring up this chart, but I want to show you. Um, these are some stocks and their year-to-date performances. You ready? Yeah, pull up your screen. I I, I can't because it's not like a, a a tab. It's like a separate window, and I okay. I can't like toggle between. Right? It's weird, but um, whatever. Okay, so PayPal year-to-date down, and this is going into today, obviously. So not 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 as of right this second. Down thirty-seven percent. Twitter, down 37%. Snapchat, down 38%. Chewy, down 38%. Lyft, down 39%. Palantir, down 45%. DraftKings, down 49%. Pinterest, down 49%. Roku, down 51%. Uh, Bumble, down 53%. Baidu, down 55%. So is Alibaba. So is Zoom. Robinhood, down 58%. Teladoc, down 60%. Pen, 61%. Beyond Meat, 67%. Space, 71%. Lemonade, 71%. Peloton, 71%. Zillow, 71%. Stitch Fix, 73%. Jag, 76%. Smile Direct Club, 81%. I mean, oh, it's painful. This is the exact opposite. All of those stocks 
were like the golden children last year. And now they're just getting hammered. It just goes to show that you got to be able to, to, to be flexible, right? And last year, it was all about growth. It was all about Kathy. And the people that are, that, that are like me that didn't have a ton. Like, I have some growth. I've got a Kathy fund, but not a lot, right? Um, people like me were, were lagging, right? I definitely did not have as good a year last year as a lot of other people. Because I didn't have, you know, half my portfolio in Zoom or Roku or, or any of these stocks, right? Um, but I'm having a lot better of a year this year as those same people because I'm diversified, right? And now, I've, I've got some some stocks that have had tough years, right? SoFi, I've got a Kathy fund. It's not had a great year. I've got some cannabis, not had great years. But because I'm so diversified... I've had a much better year than those people that like just chased, chased and chased all these growth stocks and are paying for it now. So the market moves in cycles. You would do well to remember that. Um, and this is a big lesson, I think, in rotation, right? It was a great year for growth last year. It was a terrible year for growth this year. Well, I mean, I think it depends on which growth stocks you're looking at. But yeah, overall, if you just if if you're looking at like ARKK as a proxy for growth, but I think there are a lot of like I would argue like Nvidia's still a growth stock had a monster yeah. year, right? So there are some growth names that um, are are still doing well. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting you list off all those stocks that are down, you know, fifty percent plus this year, and then you look at the overall market. Um, it's wild. You know, wow. so and I'm sure again, same same concept. You look at those stocks, uh, the ones that you mentioned compared to the market last year, all outperformed the market. So, I guess yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a good lesson. Like anytime you have stocks that are outperforming the market for so long and by so much that eventually uh, they will have to revert back to the mean. Yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, we're all looking for those names that will be the next. Um, everybody wants the next Tesla, right? That's why we all chase Rivian. Everybody wants the next Tesla. Yeah, I mean, everyone wants the next Tesla. Everyone wants the next GameStop. Everyone wants the next AMC. But yeah, I mean, like, if, if we look at them on a stock-by-stock -stock basis, like Peloton, like that move makes sense, right? Everyone was going to need to work out at home. Everyone was going to, you know, gyms were closed across the country. Like, it made sense that Peloton ran up so much, and then at some point, like, it gets overextended. And, you know, once it's out of favor, it's out of favor. Yeah. I mean, Shelly's looking for a Black Friday sale in these stocks. They're on sale. Go buy them. I'm not buying Peloton. Not at any price. But you're buying Alibaba. I am. Well, I bought, yeah, calls on Alibaba. Yeah. yeah. I, it's just such a comp The company makes so much money. It's such a big company. Um, I get the risks. I get the, you know, potential for, for more regulation in China, didn't all they, that. Didn't they just lower their guns? I'm pretty sure they just lower their guns. Um, I'm like 90% sure they just lowered the guidance. I know the company, or I know analysts came out and lowered some price targets after the guidance, but I don't. No, I mean, look, sure. look in the in the one in this whatever, week whatever. alone, whatever. Baba's down almost 19%. Yeah, buyers got to come in. That's all <laughs> I'm gonna say. Buyers got to come. You got to come in. You know who else has got to come in? Jake Wajastic from Trend Spider. He's got to come on every Monday at one o'clock. He's here right now. Let's bring him on the show, Jake. What's up, man? What's up? That was a, that was a smooth transition. 
Oh man, is he is he really quiet for you? He or is. is it just but, me? Yeah. You're really quiet. My 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 the wrong mic setting. How about now? Yeah. That's much better. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, smooth transitions is what I do. Smooth transitions. Yeah, no, I heard you guys talking about the uh the market. Very uh the only word I can use is bifurcated, right? You've got pretty much yeah. two markets here. You've got one that's uh very very heavy on the uh, sell-off side of things, growth names, and then you do have your apples of the world that are, you know, somehow kind of keeping the market up. But it's, you know, it, it's that time of the year where if you are in a name that hasn't done great, tax loss selling is likely coming into play in the next, you know, rest of the year at this point. So something yeah. to consider, you know, it's it's all about what is what are the participants in a name doing rather than how good does the S&P 500 look? Because those are two very different looks right now. That's exactly right. Everyone's, everyone is seeing the same thing because um, yeah, they're seeing the indexes at all-time highs and they're seeing, but 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 my Teladoc, my, my, my ARC, my ARC, I hear them. I'm in, a, I'm in a bunch of stocks that have gotten, I'm in like four cannabis stocks. It's been a brutal year, mm. brutal year, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, the, the whole market just is a little weird and, you know, you want to, you want to see, you know, if you've got a watch list of a hundred stocks, you don't want to see some stocks that are really big up 2% and then the other stocks that don't really represent the market down 10% in a day. It's just, that's not a healthy market. So, you know, I, I is my, can you see my screen? Yeah. So, I mean, the S and P 500 chart still looks actually pretty decent uh you you've Here got kind of, yeah you've got this big move that we had this morning um and then we're we're kind of pulling back to this this ascending triangle resistance here that i've created uh using more trend zones rather than trend lines you've got the volume shelf here you know from a from a risk reward standpoint spy in itself looks pretty good and historically this is a pretty strong week for the s p 500 and you, and a lot of time you just get kind of a low volume melt up uh, this week because you've got Thanksgiving, you've got the market closed on Thursday, you've got the market closing early on Friday. Uh, so you know a lot of people have kind of called it for for the week probably before it's even started. So you're you're going to probably see that the rest of the week. And um, you know for me, I it was a pretty good month for me. I am not going to even take any chances trying to hold on to plays that aren't working out. So. I decided to go pretty heavy cash after a pretty strong move in first solar today. That was that was my big win for the week and uh, took some losses on some of the cannabis names because they're just not ready yet. And, you know, they they could hit new lows before they uh, start reversing and no point in no point staying wrong. You, you got to know when you're wrong and, and take the loss. So um, SPY looking decent. The only thing that I would mention here on the monthly chart that I did find this weekend or I guess late last week. You can see that the S&P 500 is getting pretty close to this longer term level of resistance, pretty much dating back uh, about 11 years at this point. So we are starting to grind up into this kind of like eh, something's going to happen zone. But at the same time, if you look at what happened back in uh, 2011, 2012, when we had that sell off, we continued to grind up through this area for a year and a half or more. So just because we're getting in this red zone doesn't mean, you know, this thing's going to just absolutely tank. It just means that this this is an area where the market has kind of maybe 
slowly grind it up rather than having some of these sharp moves like we're used to over the last year and a half. What what price is that upper band? Uh, right around four ninety. Okay. Assuming yeah, that, we we, and and remember the you know the diagonals are always a function of time. So like if we were to go straight up this month, resistance is around let's say four eighty eight fifty. But you know if we did something like this where we essentially just kind of went like this, you know that would put that would put price action in the five forties. So it's, you know, diagonals are always tough because they're not an exact price level. They're always changing as, as time uh, continues to move. Uh, and so, so yeah, you know, 480s to 490s is definitely the top of that, that area. And we'll, we'll just have to let price action do its thing and go from there. Let it do its thing. Nothing wrong with grinding higher. Nothing wrong with not making a new high every single day. By the way, guys, this is going to end up being when all is said and done, in all likelihood, a record year in terms of number of new all-time highs for the S&P 500. Um, I think we made our, what, like 66th new high or something like that on Friday? Wow. We're somewhere in the ballpark of 70 now. The record is like 72. You know, like, we're going to get close to, if not if not near the record for number of new all-time highs in, in, a, in, a, in a calendar year. And I know calendars arbitrary you know cutoff point but um it's been an amazing there's not, nothing wrong with just not making a new high all the time it's just yeah yeah and um yeah i'd be interested to see what i don't know you know what the statistics are from previous but you know what what was the last time that we hit that many all-time highs in a year what was the i'll, I'll tell you uh well the all-time record is 95 1995 um what, what, the year 1975 the, uh, nine, 1995 95. Oh, yeah, that well. was the record. So not well, not exactly a, bull, a bearish indicator. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's what I kind of look at, too. You know, everyone's talking about inflation is the highest yeah. it's been since 1991. And then you look, you know, what happened in the 90s. And it's like, OK, well, it's pretty great, man. Wasn't wasn't the worst signal for the market. No, nope. but, um, but yeah, you know, we we we've got a weird situation. Interest rates are nowhere near what they were back then. And and the Fed had a little more leverage, but the Fed always has something in their back pocket. You know, they, they, they've got plenty of uh, magic tricks up their sleeve. So it's best not to fight them, but same thing on the queues. I mean, if you look at this medium term resistance, we're, we're edging up towards that, you know, it doesn't mean we have to fall back, but it's just kind of an area that has, uh, you know, the price has been riding up along for the last pretty much 14, 15 months or so. So uh, this is this is another one that still, if you look at the weekly or excuse me, the daily chart, and this is kind of just doing the top down approach. You always want to get an idea of what the markets look like before you jump into individual names. But you also want to know which individual names you're looking at. This doesn't really apply to your growth names that are getting slammed 20 percent over the last two weeks. This is applying to your your larger cap names, your NVIDIAs, your AMDs, your, you know, things that really move with the cues. So at this point, this is just kind of a retest of that previous resistance. And we still have this huge area of uh, volume, including the point of control, but also this kind of shelf here that's being made up of this next volume node below. So definitely one of the uglier uh, setups, if you're comparing it to SPY today with this, with this outside bar and at this point, an engulfing candle on the daily. But you still have a lot of volume supporting price up here. So we'll see. I mean, the elephant in the room is definitely IWM. Uh, you know, this is one that I think too many people 
we're just waiting for that exact retest God. of this previous high, which is uh, right Wait, around. Are we there? We're there right now. Yeah, we're below it. <laughs> oh, no. Gosh, this thing, it can't catch a break, Jake. We, we had the breakout. It took, it took a while. We got the breakout. Oh, now we're retesting. Now we're below the retest? Yeah, but I, feel, I mean, if you, if you look for at, it, if you look at the, uh, so this is the way I kind of look at it. Um, I generally like to use the Williams percent range as an indicator to get an idea of, you know, where, where the market is, is kind of at in terms of overbought, oversold. And, and the Williams percent range is one that can definitely signal overbought and oversold early, right? So like here, we initially signaled oversold on November 17th. And we continue yeah. to move down. What you want to use the percent range for a lot of the time is when does divergence start to play into the, the picture? Now, something I, I don't use the RSI often, but when I do, it is uh, kind of sound like a Dosa Keys commercial. I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this is when I like to pull out the RSI. So anytime that the Williams percent range and the RSI are oversold together, that's your really, really hard signal. So here, that's one. This was a pretty hard, hard bottom here. Once again, there, same thing, pretty hard bottom, short-term bottom. But you can see, this is the only thing that kind of has me a little concerned is we are not oversold on the RSI yet. Um, now, what you can do is you can also optimize this a little more. Maybe instead of an RSI 10, you use an RSI 5 and kind of see what that's done in the past. And we are kind of oversold here. Uh, but the thing with oscillators is they can continue to remain oversold. And so you, you really just want to follow price action. This is the main kind of back test I'm looking at. We're still oversold on the percent range here. We're holding this, uh, this anchored view app from the October 6th pivot. And that's, that's kind of the main area I'm watching for now, but it is always a little concerning when, when, you know, IWM, which is generally a risk on kind of sentiment indice is really not following through with the markets. And so this is the main thing I'm watching. We'd really want to hold around 230, which is also psychological level on IWM. And this would be the fourth red day in a row, um, which for IWM doesn't matter. Sometimes it, it can still keep going down, but I think it's just an overcrowded trade. Everybody was watching the breakout. Everyone's saying, oh, I'm just going to buy the retest and everything's going to be golden. That usually doesn't work too well. I've also seen people draw this area here more of a kind of a diagonal resistance zone. And, uh, you know, that would put this even in the, the around 230, 228 zone below. Uh, so that's another one that maybe not as many people are watching. They're just using this horizontal level here, which uh, which is giving people some some problems. And that's what the market does. You can't it, it can't be that obvious. Why not? Uh, out of curiosity here, I'm going to go look this up right now. Is is GameStop still the largest holding in IWM? I think it is. Or AMC? Let me check right now. I'm just out of curiosity here. GameStop holdings. Either AMC is the largest holding in IWM, followed by Avis Budget. Oh, okay, that's great. So there you go. Um, AMC is interesting. I'm, I've been watching this one on the longer term chart. It's just for me. I just can't understand the valuation. But you know, most people can't understand the valuation of some of these you know, dog coins that are $50 billion market caps and have no utility. So anything's possible. The uh, interesting thing is AMC is consolidating at this previous resistance, long-term uh, resistance, which is now acting as potential support. You've got this uh, pennant here forming. 
it's it's hard for me to be too bearish on AMC or GameStop right now. And generally, when when AMC and GameStop are moving, that's that's actually when the market has shown some some red flags. Is you kind of have these names that are you know moving, and you've got some of these hedge funds that are trying to keep trying to short these names, and they're getting you know absolutely destroyed. So when AMC and GameStop are ripping, it's not always the strongest sign for the market. Go back and look at February of 2021, January 2021. That was kind of the top for uh, for at least short term in the market for some names. And then you had, you know, your Home Depots and, and those names just absolutely fly in, in March. But we talked about IWM as a risk on risk off sentiment indicator. But to me, Bitcoin is the number one uh, indicator. And this is actually one of the main reasons that I am a little cautious. And I know I was cautious last week too. Um, I'm still cautious. I, I need to see Bitcoin looking very strong in order for me to have really strong conviction in the market because Bitcoin is by far the best gauge of liquidity in the financial markets. It's just, it's gotten to that point that it is. Now, the thing that is a little concerning and, you know, something I, I look at, especially, uh, you know, when, when we've got this major move down and then you've kind of got this, this little bounce here is you kind of have a little bit of a, uh, you know, I'm going to call it a little bit of a uh, bull, uh, excuse me, bear flag here. It's not perfect, but you can kind of see that we're, we've, we've got our initial move down. You've got your consolidation. Who knows this thing could consolidate for another week or so, but this is I you know I'm looking at multiple time frames. This is the first red flag here, which is just the fact that um, we do maybe have a, a bear flag. But the main one I'm looking at, and same thing. This is divergence uh, on the Williams percent range has not steered me wrong um, a lot of the time. This is this is the concerning thing here, and I will change this because I use the Williams percent range eight on the weekly to look back uh, two months. I use the 10 on the daily to look back two weeks. The, I mean, this is uh, this is called double negative divergence. And this is actually uh, something that I, I learned uh, about a week or two ago studying for the CMT. And that's the beautiful thing about the market. You learn something new every day. Double negative oh, yeah. divergence is when you have essentially two divergences in a row. So here's your number one divergence. This is your first one. One. So one, one, that's your first divergence. And then here's your next one. One, two. So you have two sets of divergence. You're hitting higher highs in two separate occasions while you're hitting lows uh, on the percent range on those two separate occasions. So here's one, two, three. And when, when we've had these types of divergences in the past, especially for Bitcoin, because it's just such a raw market, you know, nothing's manipulating it other than supply and demand forces at work. Uh, and some people will say that's easy to manipulate, but it's just such a, an organic market. You don't have the Fed doing anything. You just have supply <laughs> and demand. And this is, this is the main thing that I'm a little concerned about is just the fact that we do have this divergence playing out. And you do have um, you do have quite a bit of um, break even uh, break even participants in the market down here around forty seven. What does that mean? Well, it means that these volume weighted average prices are essentially measuring the dollar cost average from these lows that we saw over the summer, 
And the average participant, let's just put it right in the middle here, is still up about 16%. So whenever you have a lot of people holding at a profit, that's generally when you get the biggest sell-offs because everybody wants to take their profit at the same time when there's any sign of weakness. So Bitcoin, believe it or not, is actually the main reason I am a little cautious across the market wow. because I need to see Bitcoin strength, not weakness, if the market's going to continue much higher. Jake, I was just looking at like a longer term Bitcoin chart. Um, do you think so? Okay, so earlier in the year, Bitcoin, we had like a 40% drop in Bitcoin, right? It went from like 56 right it went from like 50 it went from like 50 to, uh or no it went from um yeah it went from like 69 to i don't know for, i forget where but we definitely had a yeah it was it was say 65 to 30 okay we had like a 50 percent drop um in bitcoin um yeah, do you do you think will ever a 50 percent drops are definitely like uh possible with anything but we used to have Bitcoin used to have much bigger drops. Like after the first uh, top in 2018, Bitcoin fell like 75, 80% or more. Um, do we think like those days are over where like, like, do we think we'll ever see like 70, 75, 80% drops in Bitcoin ever again? Or is it, is it just, is it just come too far now and like moves of that magnitude are probably because there's just people just want to buy the dip. So, yeah. One one thing I've learned in the market is never say never. There is Yeah, that's no, true. I as soon as everybody's saying something never can happen, that's when it does happen. Um so, you know, I I'm not here to say yes it can or yes it no or right. yes it can or can't happen because I don't have a crystal ball. You know, I more or less just want to follow price action and and let that Fair price enough. action evolve into my favor, but I don't think it's I don't think it's out of the uh, out of the uh, possibility at all. I've seen some very very prominent names say that Bitcoin's probably going back to ten to twelve k at some point, um, and uh, you know I, there are people that I, I trust with their analysis. They've been pretty spot on a lot of the time, and um, and the fact that they they say that is is definitely worth noting. You know, yeah, uh, but. I just I just don't know. I don't know what that drawdown could be, but same thing here, you know, like I, you got to kind of take, take it as it plays out. First thing that I would note, you've got divergence. You've got this higher high from uh, higher high in September than you did in February shown by this upward sloping line. And then if you look at the current month here, you do have a downward sloping line. That's the first red flag for me. And that's why I'm 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 pretty comfortable being in cash right now. Sure, maybe I you know maybe I sold uh, the bottom, whatever. I'm I'm very okay with that because the odds, in my view, are not in my favor right now. Monthly, if you look at the monthly uh, seasonality since uh, Bitcoin uh, kind of was on Coinbase, December has a 33% win rate. So December is actually the second lowest win rate for any month of the year, uh, going back about seven years. So we're not incredibly, we're, it's, it's like playing blackjack, right? You're playing blackjack as a function of odds and most, most gambling games you are, if you don't have an edge or the, the odds are not stacked in your favor, there's no point in trying to press those. 
uh, you know, what's what's more annoying than, you know, going on a heater and then literally blowing up every profit you made just because you thought that probability was going to keep going actively. It, it, the probabilities change and we have to look and see is the market stacked in our odds. Negative divergence on the monthly, not stacked in my odds. Uh, December having a 33% win rate, not something that's stacked in my odds. And I'm not even trading crypto. I simply use crypto as a risk on risk off proxy in the market. And that's why I am cautious on the broad markets. Let's get do some questions from the chat. Yeah. Um, BNZNB is asking about Boeing. This one's had a couple of positive it? headlines in the past couple of weeks. BNZ and what? Boeing, Boeing, oh, BN. Boeing. I thought, yeah, I thought you said BNZ. Yeah, BNZ and B is the person in the chat. Oh, okay. Bin, I was like, Benzinba, ticker. Boeing. Um, yeah. So you know, this is when I start to look at the monthly charts. I generally even start looking at the monthly charts going into the second half of the month, not because I'm going to make any type of um, exact trade on them, but I still want to see. You know, is this is this an outside month? Is it? You know, how is it forming? So the first thing that I would do is look at the seasonality for Boeing. And I'd probably pull this back to January of 2009 uh, because that's when the financial crisis was. And uh, November, December are relatively strong months. You can see November is still green, barely. Um, and and the next thing I would do is I'd look, okay, since, since the COVID lows, you know, where's a majority of volume holding? Well, you've got two pockets of liquidity here. You've got quite a bit of volume holding from around 210 to 230. And then you have absolutely nothing here. You've pretty much got like a what I call volume gap, essentially a void in supply and demand. And then your next level of liquidity comes in around 175 all the way down to around 150. And what I mean by liquidity is there's there's a lot of volume that's been transacted there. Um, and the thing that concerns me about Boeing is you know, volume shelves are great. This is this is what I call a volume shelf. But the price needs to be above the volume shelf. If the price is below, like like earlier this month when we were at two thirty, that's a good sign. We're above a lot of that that volume. Now we're below it. So all of these shares holding at two twenty, two fifteen, two thirty, they're now holding at an unrealized loss, and that puts selling pressure on a stock when you've got all that overhead supply above. So Boeing on the monthly went past. You know past my kind of test right here. Uh, on the weekly, we still kind of have this symmetrical triangle forming. We tried to break out last week and now we're kind of back to that support. Um, so that's a, that's kind of a neutral one. And, and then if we go to the daily, uh, you know, looks like a barcode. Yeah, not, a, not a ton going on here. Uh, mm -hmm. Just up and down, up and down, zigzag. So to me, there's no edge if I'm looking okay. at the chart on Boeing. Fair enough. Uh, dry particulars in the chat. We got a few more minutes with Jake with Jazzic from Trend Spider ripping through his charts right now. Um, what's wrong with Grogen? MW, MW, man, it's cannabis. All right, I, I don't know what to say, man. What's Jake, wrong with Grogen? It's this yeah. Is, this is a favorite of Jake's, and it's. I don't, listen. This is see. The, the, this is the thing I think a lot of people sometimes don't think about. Right? They, if you're looking at an individual name. Go look at all the other stocks in the sector. If that name is performing poorly, you <laughs> have to you. go look at it's not. I, I promise you, it's not just the individual name. Go look at any growth names today. They're brutal. I mean, um, 
but yeah, this this is a long term hold for me. Maybe maybe it invalidates itself at some point. I know people are a little concerned about their management, all that. But Grogen is one uh, kind of the same same thing as Litecoin, right? Like I've only seen Litecoin actually used in a realistic setting. That's why I initially traded Litecoin back, you know, a year or two ago because I actually yeah. saw the utility and how it was used. Grogen, same thing. I'm very comfortable and Grogen's the only stock uh, weed stock that I own long term. And yep. yeah, I've got a I've, I've got a drawdown, but it's if I look at the proportion of the capital in Grogen versus some of the trades that I take on a on a week to week basis, it's, it's literally yeah. maybe 2% of maybe probably less than that of the the total capital that I have in the market. Nice. I have it nice. for I have it for my son. It's a long-term thing. But nice, nice, um, nice. this is what I'm looking at on Grogen. And this is why I'll probably add around 15 or so. So one, five red months in a row. Could do another red month. We'll see. But this is what I want to see, right? If we look at since this 2018 low, we are now back to where a lot of volume is, is back to break even. Um, so this is where supply dries up. And, and this is where I'm looking for maybe some consolidation and, um, I'll just play it by ear. You know, this is, this is one that actually looks decent in the marijuana crowd. You're still hitting higher lows since 2018. You go to something like, you know, Tilray and you're still hitting higher lows since we bottomed out in, in 2020. But if you're looking back, you know, from, from, I guess, when did this IPO back in 2018, we're at lower we're at lower lows. Um, so, so yeah, these weed names, this is just what they do. They will, they will literally bring everybody in, spit them out. And then everybody comes back chasing them. Uh, I'm not sure if we're ready here. And, and that's why I did stop out of some of those names today, but they're still on my watch list. And, and when they get hot again, then I'll, I'll probably look at maybe uh, adding, but this is the thing I'll say on Tilray at least. From this high back in 2018, you have a lot of volume holding here. Like most of the volume is holding from around eight to 14 bucks. That's a huge range. But if you look at the range of Tilray, it's got a pretty big uh, two-year range. But yeah, GRWG, just kind of sitting on that one. As I mentioned, it's not not a massive position for me, but it is a it, it is an investment long-term. Um, but this this is the kind of chart I like. Move up, pull back, still higher higher lows. And if you're just using basic technical analysis, we're pretty much just retesting the highs from 2018 and uh, 2020 here. So that's my take on GRW. I, I love the point that, that Jake just made. People with regards to Grogen, people overestimate the randomness of stocks given movement. Check check the sector, check, the, check its friends, check its peers. Yeah. If you're looking at a bank, check the other banks. Just give an idea. Are they all down? All right. It's not about you. <laughs> it's and that's why that, exactly. And that's why I'd always recommend people to have a hundred, 150 yeah. stocks on a watch list, not to watch all of those and trade them. I only trade yeah. like two or three stocks at a time, but yeah. to get an idea, I always see people reaching out. Hey, why is, why is Fubo down? Well, go look at the yeah. other growth names. It's not you, just dog. Fubo, you know, it it's about you dog. It it's, about you. it's, it's, it's a bigger it's a bigger movement yeah. than just an individual name. So that's my thoughts on kind of how you look at the markets. You got to look at the overall rather than just look at the individual names. 
Jake Wojastic uh, is from TrendSpider. Uh, joins us every single uh, Monday. Uh, here's a promo code. And uh, Jake, happy Thanksgiving. And um, I won't see, I'm off next week, but AB will be here, I think, hopefully. <laughs> will you be here, Aaron? Uh, and uh, have, have a happy holiday, man. And, and, hey, you and, too. and we'll talk to you. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good one. Have a good one, guys. All right. Uh, AB. Wow, nice transition, Rohan. What's up? It's getting dark outside, or it looks dark on the screen. Yeah, well, it's getting darker. I don't know. It's one thirty. We we can see uh, uh, the first few ice skaters out there. Yeah, wait, zoom back out there. We, look at the skaters. That'll be me and you. One day we should do a show from the rink. My goal is to learn how to hockey stop this year. So if we have any any uh, viewers out there that can help me along that journey. No, no, me too. Not just him. Me too. Yeah, help us. It's been on my to-do list for like 15 years. Learn how to hockey stop. Wait, yeah. So run me through this. Next week, I'm alone? Just for Monday. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, I can handle that. Okay, just Monday. I'll be back on Tuesday. Okay. What's cool. the plan for... Uh, so I know you said no show Friday. No so yeah, show, I'm, no I'm show Thursday. No show Friday. No show Thursday, obviously. Wednesday. Um, full show, baby. All right. Wait, are you going to be here? I might be joining from home. Oh, all right. We'll figure it out. I'll figure. We'll figure, we'll it, figure out. it out. Yeah. All right. Last guest of the day. Who do we got? We've got Chris Capri from Second Skies Trading. You know him. You love him. We're gonna be talking some options. Uh, looks like we got a fresh haircut too, Mister Capri. <laughs> Without further ado, let's bring Chris on the stream. Chris, how we doing? Very good. Yourselves? Pretty good. I'd Chris. be better if I got a fresh cut like you did. Chris, do you know how to hockey stop? No, I actually no. Uh, gave up hockey early on because uh, I just had a hard time skating and I was like, ah, yeah. I'll stick with soccer and baseball. I'm, I'm cool with not smashing my head against the ice. It's, uh, yes. yeah. I actually, hey, funny have- story though, I did go on a first date with somebody back in, um, so when I was a broker after Wall Street, they transferred me to the San Francisco office and I went on a date with somebody to the local rink uh, when I was living in downtown Union Square, um, San Francisco. Yep. And on that date, she just happened to be like a badass skater. And so I ended up losing the bet. We were like chasing each other around the rink and I hit the divot where the goal was, ate it and actually gave myself a concussion on the date. So I like oh had like a God. swollen head the rest of the day. So I literally had to walk with her on one side of me. So she didn't see like my swollen head on the other, but I was like full on like concussion and everything. So after those situations, I'm like, yeah, skating's not for me. Stick to first dates at the movies, not the ice rink. Seriously. Although, you know, it'd be cool, though. You guys should do a show on the skating rink, holding a laptop and skating sure. and making a day trade while you're doing it. For sure. For sure. Yes. But let's put it on the on the to-do list. So that would be that would be some serious skill points. We, there. We, we, we can do that. We can do that. OK, nice. What's on your radar here today? Apple. Hard not to look at Apple right now. So Apple is showing strength in a period today where a lot of the market is showing weakness. And as I was telling my members, you know, early this morning, keep an eye on VIX. If you start seeing VIX spike, you could probably see a material amount of weakness come into the market. And VIX did that. You know, VIX had like a dollar pop in like 20 minutes, which is not common for VIX. My senses, you know, my spidey senses were starting to get into low liquidity already today. But in a day where a lot of things were falling off, Apple has held its strength. It's holding on to gains on the day. And that tells me that there's real inherent strength in it. So, you know, I look at Apple on the day. 
it's up, you know, it's not, it's not up huge. What is it up a few percent or whatever? It's up a couple percent. But what I like is, is that now we're in the second week above this all time high breakout. And so, oh my God, am I not sharing the darn screen? You're supposed to not. Yeah, I know. I was just about to, but I knew you would catch it on your own. So let's get that screen pulled up. There it is. Yeah, this is this is one that I pointed out on the show last week. We were sitting at this kind of uh, resistance. I believe it was one fifty one forty. Remind me, one fifty six forty, something like that. And I was, I was like, if we break through this, uh, we got blue skies ahead. So I actually played some Apple calls last week, made some good money nice. on them. But um, you know, yeah, like you said. Well, now that I mean, Apple's what the biggest company in the world. Seeing a two percent move, it's it's not something to sneeze at. You know, it's for Apple and any move over you know one and a half percent is like pretty significant. Yeah, you got to remember, Apple is a, is one of the largest holdings in you know the Nasdaq in the S and P five hundred. Every pretty much every single hedge fund and mutual fund on the planet has exposure to Apple in one way or another. It's a large option trading stock. There's a lot of options on Apple. And so I'm just looking at this. Yeah, you're right. Anytime you have a one and a half, two percent, Apple's not a, you know, it's not like a, a Spotify or Roblox or something that's going to do 10, 20 percent of the day. It just doesn't do that. You know, Apple is one of those stocks that you get at one and a half, two percent. It's a solid move. So I'm looking at this. We've cleared out the all time highs, closed very, very high, which means that very little people were taking their foot off the gas going into the weekend they you know that means that basically means that when you have no wick to the top side here very little there's very little profit taking and so we see this nice gap to open a little bit pop up holding the gains to start the day and so i feel like there's a really good chance that apple you know closes strong on the week and two weekly closes above the all-time highs that would suggest traders are comfortable with apple at these new prices so when i look at apple from you know, let's look at some smaller time frames. Let's take a look at this kind of four hour chart here. I feel like looking at Apple positioning right now. So Apple has roughly prior to today about 4.1 million calls and 3.4 million puts. So you're talking seven and a half million options out there. The next biggest expiry isn't until January, the January monthly OPEX. That tells me that this breakout is not happening per se on this kind of like massive gamma squeeze for these short dated options. No, there is people, the longest strike or the next biggest strike by expiry is January. So nobody's really day trading this Apple stock and causing this push. This has sustained long-term bullish interest at these prices. And so when I look at that, I feel like Apple is in a very good place right now. And I feel like any pullbacks, are solid buying opportunities. So I'm watching 160. Let me pull back to the one hour here. I'm watching, you know, kind of this, you see how there's this nice liquidity here, right around this kind of 160, 161. That's going to be the first area I'm going to consider a potential long for calls. The next area I look at is this area right here between like 159 and 157. So I wouldn't do full size here. I recommend partial size here save a little bit more of the battery and the tank for here. And so I think there is a chance we could get to 157, 159, maybe this week, maybe next week, you know, with liquidity being thin, it's certainly possible to get that move. But I feel like Apple's in a position where 
I wouldn't want to day trade this, and I'm not seeing the majority of options are not being day traded. I'd rather get long Apple calls, probably January expiry. You know, if you have that many options, about 18% of the options right there are expiring in January. So I think that this thing will have a nice move into January, and then you'll see the board kind of reset. So I would, I'm looking towards long calls with the January expiry on this. So do, do we have any like catalyst that we think can help Apple stock move one way or the other over the next couple months? I know we've got uh, you know the holiday season, obviously, but we won't be able to see Apple's sales on the holiday season until the following quarter, correct? Yeah, their next earnings isn't isn't for a while out. So you're talking late January. So, you know, you can generally expect that their sales are going to be good. You know, you got Black Friday week right now. Then you got Christmas and all these sales. So sales will probably be strong. I think some of the best news that could come out for them would be on the car front. Any more news on that Apple car front is huge because that is a whole new vertical for them. You know, and we noticed that the news came out this week, you know, on the breakout week that it broke the all time highs that, hey, it's 100 percent. Apple car is, you know, they've been kind of secret about it and they're like, OK, it's official now. And so, yes, they are working on it. They took one of Tesla's top engineers, you know, and so it's clear and they're filing for patents. It's clear they're working on a car. I think any news on that is very, very helpful. I think another potential news catalyst to watch out for would be any sort of move into the metaverse talk, you know, saying, hey, we are looking to create, you know, metaverse spaces as well, or metaverse nodes as well. And here's how we want to do it. And I think in some sense, if it was a competition between Apple and Facebook, I think Apple wins because Apple has a much larger ecosystem and products that people integrate with. And Facebook really has one. Nobody looks at the Oculus VR as a major vertical that people integrate with and, you know, kind of interact with. But Apple, you have so many things. You have the phone, you have the watch, you know, you have all these different things that you can interact with. And so I think if they were to do any talk about that, that could be a great potential news catalyst. Got it. Um, yes. So anything else on the watch list right now outside of Apple? Yeah. How do you not talk about Ford? Ford is, I had some of my students that were taking this breakout of this channel. I hope they're still holding it because this is a monster trade. So Ford is having an incredible run, an incredible run. And so if you look at this, you know, look at this just huge amount of volume. I mean, how many weeks bullish is this? One, two, three, six, nine, 10 out of the last 11 weeks, assuming this week closes up, are bullish. That's enormous. That's an enormous amount of buying pressure on it. So this is not just kind of, you know, like Wall Street bets type meme thing. This is like legitimate, a lot of interest across the board. And, you know, they had their report recently coming out about the, the Mach-E, uh, their electric vehicle performing better on quality tests by Consumer Reports than Tesla. Like Tesla was second to the bottom of the list and the Ford was the highest rated EV. So they just keep getting more and more positive news in their favor. Today alone, strong amount of shares, 87 million, almost at the 10-day average. And so I look at Ford and I'm sitting there going, okay, you know, we've cleared out these major highs here. We've cleared out these highs here. Now, really, we're working our way into this kind of 22, 24 range, you know, as the next major resistance levels. 
So I feel like Ford is one of those things that we got to start getting long on pullbacks. So looking at the option space on Ford, again, another high volume option stock. 3.5 million calls prior to today and 2.5 million puts. So you're talking 6 million plus options. And I think today they're already cracking over 650,000 options on the day or 630,000 options. So strong options volume on the day. Now Ford is also very much like Apple. The next biggest expiry in terms of options is until January. That means that the views that are being expressed in the options market in terms of largest concentration of expiry is long dated. It's not this week. It's not next week. It's not a month out. They're saying, hey, we have a fair amount of options that we are willing to express these views out till January. And, you know, these are some, you know, some strong bullish views. So when I look at Ford, Ford has a little bit better structure. Looking at the one hour chart, you can see this nice range here. Let's draw it out. Nice corrective structure at the highs. I feel like if Ford gets any dips into 1940s, 1930s, I feel like that is a great place for long calls. And so if I was to do it based on this structure, I would probably do it maybe the December expiries, but then I probably would mix it up with some January expiries buying maybe the 19 or 19 after 20 calls on this. And so I like Ford. I think it has maybe a little bit of short-term resistance here, but I feel like pullbacks to 19, maybe 18, maybe 17 and a half. I think that's as far as Ford goes on a pullback. And I think if you get these prices down here, that'd be a great area to get calls, get them out to the January expiry, should be in a good position. So first area, low 19s. Second area, I like, you know, this kind of mid 18s. And then 1750, I think is fantastic. If it gets there, I think it's an amazing price to buy. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I've still got, I'm still long Ford. Uh, you know, it's in my long-term portfolio. So I love this stock. I love it going forward. I just saw a headline um, out a second ago saying that uh, the Federal Reserve must be a leader in fighting climate change, U.S. President Joe Biden says. So maybe some of these kind of, you know, clean tech names will get a boost from this if uh, the Fed is going to kind of flex its muscles in the uh, ESG space. Yeah. And Ford is, you know, of the of the U.S. automakers, you know, besides Tesla, Tesla's U.S. automaker, they are pushing the heaviest into the EV space. So, you know, they already got a vehicle that's selling very well, the Mach-E, and they're going to keep pushing in that direction. So I, I think, yeah, I, I like them going forward. And you get a great dividend with Ford, 2%. It's not gangster, but it's robust. 2% isn't yeah, bad I at mean, all. I I think any any uh, you know automaker out there that's focusing on the electric pickups, pickup trucks are obviously the the yes. best selling vehicle in the United States. Yes. So I have more interest in uh, companies that right companies that will be able to kind of attack that need for electric pickups. So whether it's um, you know Ford with with the uh, Ford Lightning pickup truck, Rivian they obviously have the electric pickup trucks, um, and it and we're yet to see. Uh, what's going to become of, of Tesla's Cybertruck. So I think any company right now that's, you know, fighting for that Tesla market share through the pickups is a good, good buy. I have to agree with you. And I think that I think Ford is best positioned for that right now. You know, just because you got to understand that Tesla hasn't produced a single Cybertruck. Nothing's come off, you know, any lines or anything like that. They're not producing anything. And so, you know, that tells me that they're having problems. Whereas Ford, 
their strength is one of their strengths is production. They know production manufacturing inside now. And that's always been Tesla's weakness has been producing enough vehicles, getting, you know, the consistency with that. They definitely don't have the same production manufacturing skill set and experience as a legacy automaker like Ford. So if they can start rolling out lightning soon, you know, and really start cranking that out, they might put a huge damper in the Cybertruck sales before they even get off the road, get onto the road. 100%. I, I agree 100% there. Speaking of legacy automakers, I do, I have been looking at Volkswagen as well as Toyota, um, just because I feel like these companies are kind of being overlooked right now. Like, I, I think you would have to be insane to think Toyota is not going to put out a fully electric Tundra pickup truck, you know, in the next three, four years, you know, whatever. So, um, I, I think we'll we'll have to look at what's going on with the Volkswagens, with the Toyotas, um, when we're talking about Tesla and Ford. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I haven't heard much on the Toyota front yet in terms of the EV space, and you haven't heard a lot of headlines on that. Um, but, you know, Toyota is known for, you know, I used to actually work for Toyota like many, many years ago, like over two decades ago, and their trucks are amazingly solid. So they have body on frame design. And, you know, the, what is it? The, uh, the Toyota truck, the, the, they have some that have gone a million miles. That's, you know, absolutely insane for a truck to go that long. They're land cruisers, they're forerunners, they're all body on frame design. And that kind of gives it like a long-term viability. Their trucks, their Tundras and everything like that, they are known for being very robust trucks. So as soon as they're able to translate that success in their truck space to EV, that that puts them in a really really good position going forward. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and I, I love uh, I drive a Toyota myself, so I, I have like brand loyalty to Toyota. But like I said, I just think you know not a lot of people are talking about it. But I would bet my bottom dollar that within you know three, four, five years we'll have a fully electric pickup from Toyota Tundra. I don't know, and it's already. I mean. Um, the Toyota trucks do perform well in the States, but a lot of people want to go out and buy American. So they'll buy a Ford, they'll sure. buy a Dodge, you know, whatever it is. Um, all right, Chris, I don't want to take up too much time talking about cars. So moving on from Ford, what else we got on the watch list? We got one other, and then we can do some open Q&A, AMAT. So AMAT is Applied Materials. They are really in a good position, you know, with the infrastructure bill going forward. And so they're going to be building a lot of the materials. A lot of the infrastructure plays are strong today. You look a lot of metal like X is strong today. A lot of mining things are strong today. A lot of materials are strong today. And I like AMAT. They give a little bit of a dividend, not much to write home to mom about, but something. And so, you know, they're kind of in this position where they also broke all-time highs. I think it's all-time highs. Yes. And so they broke that. We're in price discovery phase relatively now. And so, you know, now we had this two-week breakout. We're pulling back a little bit. And so I feel like as we get into this 140, 145 zone, you know, AMAP becomes a solid buy. Looking at the options market on AMAP prior to today, you had about 160,000 calls. You had about 216,000 puts. So you're talking about, you know, almost 400,000 options on the stock with 17% of that rolling off in the December OPEX. So no short dated options to worry about. And so the majority of options on AMAT are relatively spread out over a lot of strikes. So the gamma curves on this are really not leaning up or down. So it doesn't really have a whole lot of resistance and it doesn't have a whole lot of support overall in terms of gamma positioning. But 
I see a range between say 145 and 160 holding over through the December OPEX. So if we can get this nice pullback, let's pull into like a nice one hour chart. You know, we can see the chart is breaking down a little bit. We had the spike into 145, nice bounce, weak bounce. If we can get this roll down into like 147, 146, I'm interested in getting long calls for the December expiry. So I feel like 145 to 160 will be your range. Unless some bad news happens out of the infrastructure bill, I feel like this stock is poised to do well over the coming month. And so I'd like to hold it. So I'm thinking either long calls or long bull call spread on this through December 17th OPEX. There you go. AMAT, ticker A-M-A-T. Looking at the long calls there. All right, Chris, let's see what we've got throwing, what we've got going in the chat. Um, option printing saying Facebook is rallying. Let's take a look at, what do I call it? Meta? Facebook? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> let's just call it Facebook. I'm not going to let them get away with changing their name because they want to avoid bad press. I'll call them Facebook every single day. Mark Zuckerberg lives on the air side of the lake for me. If I see him, I'll be like, hey, Facebook. <laughs> I'm going to harass that guy. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe in, I don't know, five, ten years, we'll be like, remember Facebook and everyone calls it Meta now? I don't know, but who knows? Maybe the Facebook name will stick around longer than they would like it I to. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Eduardo Gonzalez is saying, great call, Chris, on snow last week. Didn't listen and now is down 6.5%. Now I'm listening very close. Good. I'm glad to hear. Appreciate it. Yeah, snow was going to hit that all-time highs. It's pulled back on the week, so yeah. Um, we can take a quick look at snow just to kind of check it out. And we'll just do some open call-outs. Um, yeah, down heavy on the day. What is that? 6% down 26 bucks on the day. Let's take a look at what's going on. I mean, as I mentioned, you're hitting that all-time high. You're getting really close to this. We said it would probably go to like 400. It would probably top out there. It's now down. So where do I see snow from here? 16% of the options are rolling off for December OPEX. There's not many short-dated options this Friday, which is kind of not surprising. It's the first week after the November monthly OPEX, and so it's not really that big an expiry. I feel like 400 is going to still stay resistance. We're coming into an area where it might start to find a little bit of support between, say, 353 and 345. So let's take a look at that in the, in the charts so, yeah, what is that? 343. Yeah, okay. So 343 is right about here. So there's, when we start to get to this price, the gamma starts to change where the dealers are trading. In, the, the hedging requirements actually start forcing dealers to buy. That means they're trading into the market. So if the market is selling off into this, when we start getting to here, dealers start unwinding their short positions and actually start to hedge, possibly getting long stock. And so that means if the stock's selling off, they'd be trading into the market. And so I feel like that might be a solid location for kind of like a one or two week trade on uh, snow. So watch for a potential bottom around here. There is some positioning around 353, which I mentioned, which is the low of the day. So there's some of that change happening, but I feel like once we start getting the 345, 343, 
the downside moves will struggle a little bit to get past that. So I wouldn't want to be long snow at this point in time. I wouldn't want to short it right here, but I do. I, I get very interested around 343, 345. Got it. Okay, what else do you want? You can just do the call outs, whatever you want. Um, I'm David Wilson's asking about puts on Hood or Activision. Um, Robin Hood has just been getting hammered down. I, I think it's at like it's all time lows right now. But the thing that scares me with, with buying puts on Robin Hood would just be if crypto takes off again, then obviously, you know, Hood gets a nice little sympathy play from there from that. Okay, so I'm assuming David Wilson, you're thinking long puts and not selling puts. Can you confirm that in the uh, in the chat? That would really help. Because you say puts, but it doesn't tell me whether you're thinking long or short puts. Yeah, I, I believe he's talking about long puts on uh, Activision and or Hood. Okay, let's look at Hood. All right. Poor Hood. It is not all good in the Hood. So, decent option stock. 400,000 calls, 146,000 puts. Very call heavy. Probably because of the millennial attraction to it here. 24% of the options are rolling off this Friday. And if there are more calls than puts, then that's going to create some headwinds on hood uh, as we get later in the week. Now, looking at kind of where things are, what are we at? 2783. Yeah, I think around 25, some of this selling will start to slow down. 20. I think 25 is where you start to see some of the selling slow down. And so if you're already short, I would probably want to be taking profit as soon as you start getting close to 25. I do feel like any weak pullbacks this week, if you can get a weak pullback over the next few sessions into, you know, I mean, you could even maybe even to 30, but that would be a little ambitious. Here, this is what I'm seeing in terms of my levels on option flows on hood. So I'd like to short on weak pullbacks into 30 with the majority of size at 33. I don't see it getting past 33 this week unless you have some positive news catalyst. And so, yeah, short that. Start taking profits as you get into 25. 25, it'll be hard for – it'll be harder to make downside gains and so that's why I like waiting for a little bit of a pullback and getting short. But yeah, hard not to be bearish on that. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think if we see, you know, and a lot of people are talking about this with over Thanksgiving, people are going to be talking crypto again. You know, if we see users rushing to Robinhood to buy Bitcoin, buy Ethereum, buy Dogecoin, um, that's what I could see interesting about Robinhood. But yeah, right now, chart looks ugly to say the least. I mean, you know, other than a few rallies here and there, it's just consistently making lower lows. You know, decent few-day rally here, but weak bounce off that same level breaks through. You get sure you get a rally, but it's just, you know, I mean, if you look at this chart since August, if you were selling three out of every five days on Robinhood, you would have been making money. You could have just randomly thrown a dart on the board for that day and been like, okay, you know, I need to sell three out of five of these days here. I'll pick any of these three five days you would have been making money, you know, pretty consistently on that. So it just, it's not able to catch a bid. There's nothing in the options market right now that suggests this thing's going to turn around. It's all pointing to bearish signs for Robinhood. 
Got it. And I'm seeing a couple more good ones in the chat. We'll probably only have time for one more. Um, let's see. I see Martin's asking about Scott's Miracle Grow. We've talked about that one before, Chris, and I know it's not a, a gangster stock to trade options on. So let me try to find one that is. Yeah, sadly, um, can't, most cannabis stocks are not that great for options. It's just not a. They don't have the movement, and they, you know, the, yeah, they don't have the responsiveness that. All right, stocks. I was, since Martin asked about SMG, and we're not going to do that, let's do PayPal for Martin. Okay. Victor also asked about PayPal. So there we go. Let's pull up PayPal. All right. So PayPal has prior to today about 870,000 calls, 680,000 puts. That's what 1.55 million options out there. Not many options rolling off short dated. It's mostly December OPEX expiries kind of thing. So you don't have to worry about anything short dated hemming it in right now. PayPal is bearish. I mean, I'm not looking at the chart, but just from an options perspective, it's bearish. And so where would I start to short PayPal? So where are we now? What was the low in the day? Close to 184. Yeah. I would look for weak pullbacks to like 200, 201. And then beyond that, I think it's going to have a hard time getting beyond 200 for the week you know, outside of a new catalyst. I mean, it beat earnings and it's just been down since then. So, so you're saying if it gets back up to 200 that you'd look at some short positions? Yeah, I'd look at either long puts or a bear put spread. Um, assuming it's a weak pullback. You know, if it's like an immediate ripper, like a, an impulsive rip, then I would need to like look at the intraday charts and see it start to transition there. But if it starts pulling back correctively into 200 this week or maybe even next week, um, I would look to short that. Either get long puts or long a bear put spread. Yeah, I'd look to short that. I, I think this has got, I think 200 acts as resistance and I could easily see it returning back down to 185, 190. So, you know, you'd have 10, $15 worth of room to trade on that to the downside, two, $3 stop to the upside. I think that's, I think it's a workable play. Sounds good. Yeah. So there you have it in PayPal still bearish, but if we see that uh, kind of, you know, pull, not pull back, but if we see it come up a little bit, then we can start looking at those short positions again. Yeah, Toronto, uh, yeah, on a weak pullback. We want to look for a corrective pullback. Toronto the Great had an, a quick question we can answer super quick. Which are the best index funds to trade options on? The the, the metas, SPIs, Qs, IWMs. Those are, those are fantastic. They respond in many ways. These index ETFs respond more to options than they do to the actual flows. Like if you look at IWMs on the day, you know, it's below its average 10-day volume. But option positioning dominates on these stocks. And that's because there are a lot of institutions trading these. A lot of them are trading them via options, particularly SPIs, Qs, and IWMs. And so if you want to trade index ETFs via options, these are your best. Great liquidity, great spreads. Option flows are very robust because you have so many options. The data points are really, really strong. So once you get a good read on the option and dealer flows, you should be able to read support and resistance levels on this very, very easily. So yeah, those are the three best you should do. There we go. All right, Chris Capri from Second Skies Trading comes and joins us every Monday. So if you like Chris's content, check him out on the show with us on Mondays. He will also be putting out some articles with Benzinga. So make sure to check those out as well. Um, Chris, where, do, where can folks find more from you? 
SecondSkiesForex.com. Uh, also, right now, we are offering a Black Friday, our biggest discount of the year, 30% off till I think this Sunday or Monday. So I'm putting the coupon code in the chat. I hope you can take advantage of it if you want to learn about our options strategies and how we trade options or a live trading masterclass. So other than that, you can also see our articles on Benzinga. I write for them now every single day. Beautiful. All right, Chris. Well, enjoy the rest of your Monday. Have a great holiday and looking forward to next week. You too. Happy holidays and be well. All right, y'all. That was Chris Capri from Second Skies Trading. Is my mic on, Aaron? Is, but can you guys hear Spencer? We're getting the one minute signal. What's up with that? Oh, now they can hear me, now but, they, they, but they still can't see me. I mean, that's fine. Whatever. Oh, look at that. Cool. It's 202, man. We're going way over. We didn't even do a crypto update. Bada bing, bada boom. There's your heat map. Get some free crypto. Go to Voyager. Download the app. Fund your account with 100 bucks. Make your first trade. Boom. We'll give you free Bitcoin. That's how easy it is. Okay. <laughs> Beautiful. All right, y'all. That'll be a wrap for us today. We will be back live tomorrow at, I don't know, 11 a.m., 11.30 a.m., noon Eastern. Somewhere in that. To, to be determined, but we will be back live tomorrow at some point. Please smash the like if you have not already, and enjoy the rest of your Monday, and happy trading. Moon or bus live right now. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, it doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. An easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market, consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. Increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now, and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.